ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a one-fall match with a 60-minute time limit. Welcome to the Starcade 92 Control Center. Starcade 92 is exclusively on pay-per-view, and it's this Monday night at 7 o'clock Eastern Time from the Omni in Atlanta. Like to have right now. Where the big boys play. This is where the big boys play, huh? This is where the big boys play. This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com. The only place to be in your pop culture world. Um, okay, it's been a while. <laughs> what do I say? Oh, wait. Um. <laughs> well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Where the Big Boys Play. I'm here with Chad, as ever. How are you doing, Chad? Doing good today, Parv. And, have, uh, you, uh, have you regained your wrestling smile yet? Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> However, um, I'm just grabbing a day, as it were. Uh, I went to Sweden last week, and I'm just about to go to Guernsey next week. And uh, I have like two days in between. And I thought, well, why don't we get a show out? <laughs> yeah, uh, just uh, just got back from the site of the last WCW show, Panama City Beach, Florida. Well, um, have a good time. Yeah, it's fun. Stayed about a uh, half mile from Club La Vila, where the last show was at, where Shane comes down and announces he bought the company. Now, when was the last show that you and I did, Chad? Was it about a month, month ago, longer than uh, I think it's been closer to two months, but yeah, it's been a good little while. Because an awful lot has happened in that time, um, especially yeah. if you're British. Uh, we had the Brexit. Um, what else happened? Wales reached the semi-final of the Euros. Uh, I met Will from Texas. Yes. Among yes. other people. I, I also met... Uh, panther wagner right and producer matt from the brain buster show there you go what so, a crew <laughs> yeah and uh we spent most of the time believe it or not sitting in the science museum looking for will's kids <laughs> so there we are <laughs> so uh and but we didn't really talk much about wrestling because it was like a day after brexit so that's all we talked about um and uh yeah, so it's been quite an eventful month. Not 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 really much to do with wrestling, but you know, in terms of world events, quite a lot of, of stuff has happened. Right. Yeah, and Chad, uh, before we get into these melters, do you want to have anything you want to add? Well, I guess um, it's getting around the time in August where our SoundCloud renewal is, and uh, for you know, we we've been. Uh, a little more infrequent as we'd like to be par, but we've still provided you with this will be our eighth where the big boys play between the sheets has been out every Monday, well, which is incredible to think about throughout the first half of the year. So that's, I, I don't know, 26, 27 uh, between the sheets episodes. There's been seven or eight X all on bad streets, some Titans, some pro wrestling super shows, tag teams back again, the new at the garden series. So I still think uh, for my biased opinion that we provide the best podcast output of anywhere than wrestling. Um, so if you can help and donate uh, because we do this obviously free of charge um, just to renewal the 
SoundCloud feed every little bit helps. If not, you know, we can pull our trinkets together and it's not like it's going away. But if you'd like to make a donation, it would certainly be uh, greatly appreciated. Yeah, and you you can get a hold of that on the Facebook um, page. There's a there's a link there, and also there's still a link a, a PWO. I think is pinned in the podcast section. Uh, you can go to that there. Um, and like Chad said, we'd be grateful of anything that you could provide, even if it's a buck, as they say. Every little helps. And of course, I mentioned Brexit. At the minute, I think you, because I because we pay for the feed in pounds, Chad. I think one dollar almost gets you a pound for the first time in a long time. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, so you, you get a bit more bang for your buck. Um, anything else before we go? Oh yes, I should mention if you haven't looked at them, I have been writing these music articles. Oh yeah, uh, uh, the top one hundred artists. I'm I'm into, I'm into. I've done the the first 50 and I've, I've got the top 50 left to, to go. Um, they're very long articles, uh, I have to say, but you know, um, they're on the place to be site as well. So now are you not going to include any jazz? You're just hand waving jazz, uh, jazz. Um, yeah. well, I mean, I, I think you could argue that Jimmy Smith is a jazz artist. Okay. Um, Ella Fitzgerald. Well, so Miles Davis won't be in your top one. No, no, there's not going to be any Miles Davis or any of that stuff. But there's going to be like Ella Fitzgerald is a vocal jazz artist. I'd argue Peggy Smith. Yeah, uh, oh, Pe- yeah, Peggy yeah. I'd, I'd definitely go for Fitzgerald. But so, um, but no, 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 no I can't. Uh, you know, I guess it's like the yeah. I, I, it's just not one of my things. The Miles Davis. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so, let's do the Meltzers. It's time for the Wrestling Observer Extra. Wrestling Observer Extra. With Dave Meltzer. Okay. So, picking up from the end of Clash of the Champions 21, uh, going back to November the 30th, and the Clash did a 3.2 rating, uh, which was a 4.8 share, hitting 1.93 million homes, which is the second low- lowest rating um, of the 22 or so Clash specials on TBS. The only one that ever did worse was the June the 22nd Clash, which was just two days after the pay-per-view, if you remember, Chad. Right, we we right. reviewed that way. Um, and that was the one with the NWA Tag Tournament in the first round. Um, previous Clash, that's the 20th anniversary special, did a 3.7, while the uh, November Clash from last year, which was Luger versus Rick Steiner, did a 4.3 and a 6.1 share. So you can, they're down basically a whole point. Um, so, or about 26% overall, they're down. Um, not a positive sign. Um, on the bright side, um, is that WCW Saturday night, from four days earlier, that was a loaded show with Pillman versus Freedom Fighter. That's uh, another Brad Armstrong gimmick, I think. Um, Kenzuki <laughs> Sasaki versus Bobby Eaton. Vader versus uh, Tony Atlas, uh, Rhodes versus uh, the Barbarian, and several angles did a 2.4 rating, which ties with Flair Savage uh, title change show on primetime, which is the highest rated show on cable in several months. That's really interesting that that happened on the same day. Um, did you have you seen any of those matches? Uh, <sighs> None of them ring a bell right offhand. Possible, but I can't recall them. So yeah, Sasaki versus Eaton is intriguing on paper. Um, yeah, I guess I guess you know after this show we'll probably start compiling our TV list. I don't know if 
any of those will make the cut, though. We're pretty selective. Yeah, 92 is such a loaded year, too, you know. Yeah, I haven't. I they're not on my radar any of those matches, but yeah, they sound. I mean, Sasaki versus Eaton is an interesting match on paper, but yeah. I don't know. It, it, could, it, be it could have been given like seven minutes or something. Probably. It could be a five minute Saturday night squash. Right, right. Um, however, the continued increase on Saturday uh, that has been taking place this month can partially be explained as typical seasonal variation. Um, so basically there's a bump every kind of late November, I guess, coinciding with Thanksgiving. Uh, well, November, I mean, in, in the television world, November and February are both what they call sweeps months. Right. Uh, so you'll get all your like first run programming in November and February. Uh, you know, with the land of DVRs and stuff that's became less relevant over the years but certainly 1992, that was a, a big deal. It feels like uh, these days it's kind of April sort of time. When did Game of Thrones come out? That's another big thing that happened. Game of Thrones finished. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that generally out in like kind of April sort of time? Yeah, they usually start, their seasons have started in April into June. But I mean, like uh, Walking Dead, they do like two different seasons. Like, a, well, one season's two parts. Yeah. of eight episodes that start in October and end in early December, and then the second half usually starts in February, ends in early April. Um, so it's kind of all over the board. And, uh, you know, now with TV, like The Americans is one of the top-ranked television shows by U.S. critics and really worldwide critics, but it gets dreadful ratings, like absolutely abysmal ratings. So it, it's... It's interesting. Well, anyway, here we are in November 92, and indeed, winter is coming. I thought I'd slip in that joke there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Where where are we going? Uh, As for the Clash show itself, it was another sobering experience for WCW fans. It's pretty well acknowledged that Halloween Havoc was a bomb as far as show quality. Uh, One would think the pressure to deliver on a good show would erase that memory. The lineup on paper didn't look like a Clash show, and then... I guess you can go back to our review chat to see what we made of that one. Right. Uh, kind of panned out that way. I can't remember that at all, uh, Clash 21. What happened, what, what happened on that again? <laughs> I have no memory. Not a lot. I mean, you had the Sting-Rude uh, match, but oh, otherwise, yeah, yeah. you know, I know we talked about it. It, it was a very kind of nondescript clash that i mean wasn't bad it was kind of enjoyable to watch but it's also one of those uh easily forgettable shows which unfortunately i think most of the clashes will be from here on out yep anyway um judging from the promos it looked like starcade is going to be a nine match show uh and that proved to be correct uh because there were nine matches uh i watched it earlier on um uh what else here uh, Robbie Walker's leaving went something like this. Apparently at the November 11th uh, TV tapings, he got his booking sheet and found out he didn't have any bookings after the clash. At that point, he must have figured his role at the clash was to get destroyed, so he simply left the building. Mm. Now, 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 who's Robbie Walker? I don't know. <laughs> I anyway, so. he, walked out, he walked out in November of 92. I don't um, think he became anybody else. Oh, uh, oh, yeah, that's um, hard hard work, Bobby Walker. That's right. Now he came back. He's he was a jobber all throughout the 
all throughout the like late 90s, a big mainstay on uh, WCW Saturday Night once it became much prominent. Yeah. Okay. So it- also he was a big out and now it's yeah he was the big uh, one of the big guys in the racial discrimination lawsuit. I see. So well, there you go. Walking out in '92 didn't do his career any good then. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's not like he ever became a star. Uh, probably honestly his biggest claim to fame is probably being the uh, one of the main uh, plaintiffs in the discrimination lawsuit. Barry Windham is replacing Jake Roberts in the main event of the Omni Thanksgiving show, while Dustin Rhodes will replace Nikita Koloff on the other side. Arn Anderson is out of action with a blown knee and is expected back in two to three weeks. And I, I was actually wondering where Arn was during the show, so that answers that. Yeah, yeah, I was wondering that as well. Uh, text Cause fast- this is... Yep. Carry on. This again is right around the time where he was not working with the contract, so it's a really kind of weird area from here till uh, from here until um, Super Brawl uh, is kind of a funky area for Arn. Uh, Tex Legender also suffered a sprayed ankle this past week. Uh, Magnum TA Terry Allen was injured backstage at the Clash when he took a fall and broke his wrist and also injured his hip. That's not good news, is it, considering no. he's already kind of injured. Um, New Jersey indie promoter Dennis uh, Koalaluzo, <laughs> uh, <laughs> who I know is a well-known figure in these parts, uh, was officially accepted into the NWA. I'm not sure what it means in reality, although in theory it means he should be able to get dates on the NWA singles and tag team champions. And he does, doesn't he? In Doesn't he have a close connection with that belt over the next few years. Oh, yes. What a mess with uh, Dennis Corluzzo around this time, uh, kind of culminating in Shane Douglas and the ECW split. Uh, the Terminators, that's Al Green and Mark Laurinaitis, are headed in, probably in January. Uh, the TV taping where they put over Marcus Bagwell and Brad Armstrong look like, looks like it will not be airing. So there we go. Mark Laurinaitis. Who, is, is, he, is he a brother of... Uh, of the others? Yeah. Um, isn't that a... Uh... No, never mind. That's John Laurinaitis. Yeah, I mean, he's got to be. He must be the brother yeah, of John, yeah, Johnny Ace. And... The brother of Ace and Animal. Yeah. Uh, next clash will be uh, January 13th from Mecca. Uh, WCW is going back to St. Louis where they do um, a 2,500 seat in, in, a, in a gym. Um, in that great wrestling city, St. Louis. Um, WCW was turned down once again uh, for dates at the arena in St. Louis, which is exclusive with the WWF. So they're basically forced into high school gyms because Vince has got the venues on lockdown. Um, Eric Watts got his name in the college football section in Sports Illustrated two weeks back, talking about how he went from a quarterback at Louisville to a rookie pro wrestler facing Van Hammer instead of Vanderbilt. Aside from the Steiners, who are all but officially in the WWF, upcoming contracts are coming. Um, uh, so basically these people who are up for contract renewal, Bobby Eaton, Arn Anderson, like you said, Chad, Dusty Rhodes, and Ron Simmons. So there we go. Dusty Rhodes is basically he's been the booker all this time, quietly. Right. He's not been on air much, has he? No, um, only really with the commentating every once yeah. in a while, but yeah, not in ring at all. Um, okay, so December the 7th, 
Nikita Koloff is expected to be out of action for three months. Good. <laughs> since, he, <laughs> since he just done an operation for a hernia. I shouldn't say good again, but good. <laughs> Waste of space, uh, Nikita Koloff. Well, this is, that's pretty much it for him, too. And he, he's done after that, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's done, yeah. Um, as of December the 1st, the Steiners were officially released from WCW. And on the Jim Ross radio show this past uh, Sunday, Ross talked about the Steiners going to the WWF, while Bill Watts commented on the 9100 number, saying that he got along great with Rick, but not with Scott. So there we go. Um, big loss the Steiners, Chad? I, I mean, I think so. Um, Justin Rosero did an interesting piece, you know, uh, I guess Monday on July 4th. That was the 23 anniversary of when Yoko was slammed by Lex Luger. And uh, in that piece... <laughs> great, that? great, great occasion for an article, Justin. Yes. So uh, he went down and looked at revisionist history at who else could have done that instead of Luger. And Scott Steiner was one of the ones he brought up, and I don't—I mean, it's—it's it's tough. I don't—I I go back and forth with the Steiners, you know, because my personal, you know, not as big a fan as some others. We saw him in that clash in early 1991, and he didn't look really ready for that spot then. No, but. Um, in 93, I think he could have probably been groomed. I mean, certainly when he became the big Papa Pump character five or six years down the road from now, he had the character work down. But by that time, the athleticism had kind of went away a good bit. I guess that's something that you don't really think about with the Steiners going over there, is that it did affect the, the Scott Steiner kind of single star thing that had been hinted at yeah. for the years. Yeah. Uh, because they were essentially I mean, just tag guys. It's poised to happen soon in WCW. And, yeah, I mean, they didn't split till I think it's uh, the Super Bowl in 1998. So we're still five years from now, which is ridiculous to think about. They did give us some good Money Inc. matches, though, I will. Oh, yes, great uh, Money Inc. performances. <laughs> they do. They're probably the best Money Inc. matches, aren't they? Yeah, well, that's still a three-star effect. <laughs> I also like the heart matches too. The, the Brett and yeah, the heart match I do think is really good. I mean, I mean this this runs interesting. I mean, they're here, they're in Japan. Some, um, I, I, yeah, I would say not, the whole WWL through the when they come back is kind of a lost, a little bit of a lost run because even when they come back to WCW and they're managed by DBIC and all that, it's uh. It's it's an odd kind of period where I feel like they've lost some of their peak years and don't have too much to show for it. Yep. Okay, what what else happens here? Um, yep, uh, Steamboat and Douglas defend the tag titles at Starcade against Pillman and Wyndham, who debuted as a team on December the 1st, pro-tapings in Gainesville. The ad slicks sent by WCW to the cable operators for Starcade list the card as being... A 10 luck of the draw tag team matches with winners advancing to Battle Bowl. So I guess that was the original concept. It also prominently features photos of Rude, Sting, Jake Roberts, um, Ron Simmons, Cactus Jack, Dustin Rhodes, Barbarian, and Steamboat. One cable exec called up WCW to ask if they were going to re- revise them since he felt un- um, they were unusable because Roberts wouldn't be on the card and they were no longer going to be 10 luck of the draw tag team matches. WCW said they felt there was no reason not to. So 
terrible decision by WCW. Yeah. I mean, what typical Vince would have pulled them without doubt. Uh, oh, for sure. If Jake, if Jake was on the, is on the promotion, you know. Um, yes. Uh, let's keep on going. Super Brawl is going to take place in uh, February in Asheville, North Carolina. God. Oh. Oh. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I was thinking it was nine four. I think you know we've had a string where they've announced the date of the pay per views and then it's taken somewhere else. But this one actually did plan out. Yeah. Um. By the way, I got that Omni uh, Thanksgiving show pulled up. Oh yeah. You know what the semi main was on that show? <laughs> Steamboat and Douglas uh, defeated Tony Atlas and the Barbarian. Wow. Wow. That's. Uh... Tony Atlas still sticking around. Yeah, right before that was Eric Watts beating Bobby Eaton. Interesting. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty dreadful looking show overall. <laughs> well, you know, Tony Atlas, a legend at the Omni. Maybe that crowd remembers. Probably not. I uh, guess. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, Van Hammer suffered a broken nose from an accidental kick courtesy of Rick Rude. <laughs> Good. Another good, yeah. Uh, that was in the Thunder Cage match at the Omni. What was the Thunder Cage match? Okay, at? yeah. So that that was the big main event, which this show actually drew, it says on uh, Graham Cawthon's site, 5,715 paid. That's pretty good. Uh, it was Simmons, Sting, Van Hammer, and Dustin Rhodes versus Vader, Cactus Jack, Rick Root, and Barry Wyndham. So that could have been good. Okay. Well, they're getting their money's worth of that Thunder King. But that, I was going to say, that's all your star power in that one match. There's also a Steve Austin versus Brad Armstrong match on the, that show, which could have been good. So. I, I reckon that Thunder Cage match was literally because they had it still lying around from when they used it before. I think like, Maybe. Yeah. We better use Just it. throw it out there. Yeah. Uh, Duke Old Scorpio is getting over huge at the house shows. Uh, little Dylan Hales there, loving too cold. <laughs> um, from the reports that we've gotten, his house matches have been great, and there was which no is s- kind of funny. I mean, Dylan probably was at some of these shows. There was a show in Charleston, South Carolina, December fourth. Uh, well, no, he was he was in Chattanooga at this time. Let's see, let's see when they were in Chattanooga. <laughs> okay, well, you have a look at that, and I'll I'll carry on. November 27th, uh, November. we don't have a card, but it included Van Hammer and Tony Atlas, so little uh, little Dylan Els was marking out at that one, <laughs> more than likely. Uh, the show opened with a 2.9 for Pillman Armstrong, uh, which shows the initial interest was there in the show. The unique thing about this show is that it's the first show where ratings barely grew, and in the, some cases it plummeted, with a slight drop to 2.8 for the Eric Watts tag. And then as soon as that was over, it was up to 3.3 for the boxing match. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Eric Watts, ratings killer. Um, people like, how do they tell these things? Like, people switch over and they, I never really understand how they do those ratings. People have to fill out, like, what they're watching. Do they fill them out every 15 minutes or what? No, I, I thought they, by this time, would have had the little box that was hooked up to their TV, right? Right. Oh, is that what which happens? And then yeah, which would have sent data where they could tell, you know, when you flip over. Right. Okay. So people, people literally turning over when the Eric Watch match came on. That's quite funny. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I I know for sure. Like in the Monday Night War area, you could see that because that was by the time they had the minute to minute, 
And like with some segments, you could see by the minute just people flipping from one thing to the other one. Now, now this is interesting. Because the main event ratings continue to be uh, unable to break the 2.0 mark, they aired the classic Flair Steamboat match from Chicago this past Sunday. And this coming week, they're going to be airing Flair versus Funk to try to boost the ratings. Um, that's a weird thing, isn't it? Just showing old matches to try to boost the rating. To, a they, little nod of nostalgia. Um, you know, I, I would say we, you know, with me as a kid, there wasn't much of this when I was growing up. I mean, obviously, in the Attitude Era, they never showed a match from 1992 or whatever. No. Um, but in watching the TNTs for the Network Adventure, how they would always have the classic segment. Yeah. And then with this instance in WCW, it feels like this was kind of a, a path the promotions and territories would use more. And then it just went away um, kind of in the mid-90s somewhere. Where, you know, anything was in the past was in the past. And we're only focusing on the present and the future. I, I absolutely love that um, kind of nostalgia segment on TNT. Because they show some really rare stuff on there. Yeah, and have some really weird random people too. Um, yeah. That, that's that's the lone highlight in watching those wretched shows. <laughs> well, I, I it, mean, one of the highlights. No, I, I I quit the article part. Uh, this oh, week was the last <laughs> week of my uh, involvement because you, tap, you I tapped out on TNT. Anymore. I tapped out. I, literally, like the most thing I dreaded on a week to week basis was watching those TNTs. <laughs> I, I mean, going in, I thought they would be kind of funny and cheesy, and I mean, a lot of the time they're just boring and uninteresting at all like salvatore belomo making, cooking. Boat, making the boat well in, in another episode he makes a pizza i mean that's all he fucking does he makes a pizza. it's so shitty tato santana mexican food it's so bad uh, it is so i mean it's like it's not funny you didn't the, like the bail bag oh hated it <laughs> And, and Alfred Hayes, boy, you talk about the stock plummeting. He is just dreadful. Not funny, not witty. He it sucks. Uh, Alfred Hayes on those shows. I mean, this is a bit of a tangent here, but uh, I do find it funny that you tapped out, Chad. Um, one of the funny things about Alfred Hayes on the TNTs is that he can talk for two minutes and not actually say anything, which is a that, u- unique talent, really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's like the whole show. Oh, I mean, I mean, the whole show is just like it's an hour and a half of really nothing going on. Like they, it feels like they produced it, you know, 15 minutes ahead of time. Some of these segments, um, we, we had one, oh, who, oh, uh, Iron Mike Sharp on the last one I watched. Iron Mike Sharp comes out for a segment. He's just yelling for like five minutes, trying to give this like spirited, fired up, pissed off heel promo. But it's, it's like first year in wrestling training school. It's so bad. But yeah, I tapped out. I, I may join back up when they get to the uh, NWA shows, the 605 shows, but no, I couldn't do it right now. Oh, Chad. Well, Sal yeah. Baloma making a boat is one of the highlights of wrestling history. <laughs> <laughs> Just because the I can't. Pizza, you need to see the pizza. I, I mean, we may, we may have to do a Titan special on uh, Sal Baloma making pizza. So bad. All right, let's uh, let's carry on here. Where were we? Um, 
Yes. Um, the That Omni show, and the Starcade has got a healthy early advance. Uh, that's at the Omni as well, of course. Um, right. TV storyline for Simmons versus Rude is going to be that Medusa has somehow procured a favor from Simmons, his doctor, and gotten his medical records, and that they found that he's got a secret collarbone injury, and they're going to try to take advantage of it to get the title. In interviews they've already done, Rude promises Vader a shot at the world title rather than the US title, saying that he's going to win it. So that's an interesting little bit of intrigue in the angle. I didn't know that that was a part of it. Um, At least they're kind of acknowledging that. I was wondering, you know, as we talk about the show with the announcement, as the show first goes on the air. Yeah. Um, I thought that was kind of a bait and switch, but I guess at least if they're kind of acknowledging that it's a possibility, it's not as bad. So going on to the December the 14th now, and Meltzer's got one of these super-duper in-depth uh, breakdowns of business comparisons. Now, I'm not going to go through all of them, uh, and he's got like all of the different ones, WCW, WF, New Japan. Um what I thought was interest is uh, interesting here is that he's got like um, differences in how they performed, whether they're up or down each month, and right. from January to November, there's been a decline of about forty-five percent to forty-one percent across the business, both WWF and WCW, um, which is a pretty uh, big decline in popularity, I guess. Um, the interesting thing I thought was who's got the belt and what was the average attendance based on who holds the belt. Okay, I'm just going to go through these. So this is the estimated average house show paid attendance in 1992 and who was champion during that period. Okay, so Ron Simmons, 1,623. Okay, uh, Vader, 1,780. Ah. Sting. 2,143. So Sting is a bigger draw than Vader or Simmons, apparently. Um, Lex Luger, 2,105. Um, and then it, there is an asterisk there saying that Luger didn't actually appear on a house show during his time as champion in 92. Um, if you remember, he was just sitting at home. Um, Bret Hart, 2,945. Uh, Ric Flair, this is his second reign, uh, 3,405. Uh, Randy Savage, 3,772. And then right at the top, Chad, in his first reign, 6,503. Ric Flair. So, a little bit surprising, don't you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, the Vader number is kind of interesting, um, but he was only champion, I guess, for a month. So... Not a lot of data. I, I I don't think that bodes well for Simmons, that he's low man on the totem pole. No. Um, by this point in time, he's had the belt for four months, three and a half, four months. Um, so had, had, overall, he had, I think, of course, his reign overall was pretty disappointing, and they were looking for uh, give it back to Vader pretty quickly at this point in time. What's interesting to me is the difference between Flair's first reign and the second reign. Yeah, that that's a, that kind of shows the landscape of where the business was headed as a whole, for sure, too. Um, yeah. That, that was well, like a 50% decline. Yep. Um, and Savage there in the mid- it was obviously carrying the ball in the middle. 
I actually think it shows that on the WF side of things, it doesn't really matter who's holding the belt if it's not Hogan. I, I reckon it could be Hart, Savage, Flair. If the business is up, they'd it'd be up. And if the business, I don't, I honestly don't think it makes a difference, uh, unless it's Hogan. Do you agree with that? Or yeah, well, I guess that's, I, I guess that does show that. Um, yeah, I mean, that, I guess that the numbers kind of, while it is down across the board, Hart being right up there with Flair's second reign and not too far off from Savage shows that he was kind of ready for that position. Yeah. Um, I mean, that would have been his first title reign. Didn't really. It's not like uh, Brett killed the business while he was right, there. Right, right. Um, uh, Greg Garnier was introduced to guys backstage at center stage. Oh, brilliant. Greg Garnier is in the mix now, Chad. What do you reckon? Yeah, he was... Uh, this, I think, was when he was first starting to try to make his kind of a power play into a upper level job uh, for yeah. WCW. Well, I, I guess he'd have great sympathy with Eric Watts, wouldn't he? Right. <laughs> He's expected to become a new member of the creative team. Rumors yeah, um, will be that uh, there is going to be another key addition. If you ask what Greg's qualifications and considering that even though the AWA was very successful at one time, its television and overall product was always years behind the rest of the country and only thrive when it was a monopoly promotion in a town and collapsed under competition many years ago in all its markets. However, Greg was a third-string quarterback when he played college football and the son of a famous wrestler, and that should make him qualified for any job in this business, says Meltzer, with his tongue firmly in his cheek. Um, <laughs> do you think Meltzer's been a bit harsh on the AWA there, or is he basically... I, I, yeah, I mean, I think it's been kind of shown that Meltzer pretty uh, historically is pretty harsh on Ganya and the High Flyers and really the AWA by extension. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, mean I, I think lumping... I mean, Ganya, of course, he's not the uh, world-renowned star, but I think lumping him with like Derek Watts or the Mike Von Erichs of the world is pretty tough. I mean, he's more Kerry Von Eric than either of those two. Right. As far as the second generational uh, could be a star. Sure. Okay. Uh, let's carry on then. Um, Larry Zabisco is going to be full-time color commentator on Saturday nights. Good move. Yeah. I, I think he'd, he'd hold that position for a long time, wouldn't he? Yeah, well... Yeah, Saturday night's kind of tough for me to remember, but, you know, I mean, of course, he was a commentator, at least uh, in some capacity, up to almost the end. Yeah, I, I, I want to say that in 93, Ventura really, it gets more selective with the shows that he does. Like, he's not on a lot of the team. I think he does worldwide, I want to yeah, say. Yeah, just doing well. I know he does worldwide in 93, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Van Hammer continued uh, with his new push winning the arm wrestling tournament and beating Big Van Vader in the semis and Ron Simmons in the final. I have no recollection of Van Hammer winning the arm wrestling tournament. Um, that's because the one I always remember is the ice train one, which is next, <laughs> which, which is next year, which is yeah, next year. I mean, when we saw in the clash, the clips, I, I, I did think that was kind of cool. How Jesse was promoting that. It was kind of an undercard thing to uh, check out the show. Good filler. It looked like, uh, Omni is going to be curtained off for 8,000 capacity for Starcade rather than the normal 16,000. Yeah, you'd think they'd be able to fill it without papering. Uh, Arn's going to be back on the 9th of December in Louisville, but probably it's going to be his last day for a while. Uh, more on this soon. 
Uh, Dusty Rhodes being gone rumor mill is the strongest yet. It's uh, safe speculation that Rhodes won't be offered anything close to the rumored 300 grand per year he's making as a booker now. He'll probably get an offer, but he may have already gotten one that is substantially lower. Uh, and what happens from there is speculative. Um, at an indie show in Chicago on Saturday night, promoter, promoter Sam DeCero announced that Rhodes had given his word that he was taking independent bookings and that he had Rhodes versus Dick Murdoch match booked in May. Uh, Dusty really shouldn't go back in the ring, says Meltzer, except maybe in Florida and Georgia, as he'll mean nothing today as an indie wrestler. But I guess you have to make a living. Uh, and then he says, Ron Simmons' his new music sucks. I, I can't be sure that we hear... That it was, music was weird on this show, as, as we'll get on to. Yeah, I don't recall it. It wasn't... I, I guess I wasn't paying attention, because I love his old saxophone thing. They, they played a lot of the generic Starcade theme. Um, I, th- I think basically the entire roster came out to the same music, but I couldn't work out if that's an original Turner thing or if that was a WWE redub job. I don't know. Um, and then um, what? Else? Let's go to the December the twenty first. Um, although all of the television matches for TBS leading to the uh, January clash have been taped, the interviews will be done later. So at press time, we don't know what the lineup is. Um, so they've already taped the January clash now. That seems ridiculous to me. Um, highlight of the uh, December the 14th center stage tapings was the first two rounds of the tournament built to determine the number one contender for the US title. I suppose uh, that should Rick Rude beat Ron Simmons, this would be a US title tournament, although Medusa was out scouting throughout. In the first round, um, we saw Dustin Rhodes beat Vinny Vegas. Not a good match. Tony Atlas pinned Van Hammer when Hammer tried to oh, suplex Atlas. So there's the Tony Atlas push. Imagine um, that. Atlas and Hammer. <laughs> Cactus Jack came in and scooped his leg. Uh, Barry Windham pinned Johnny B. Bad with a hot-looking DDT in a very good be, match. Yeah, that could be good. Uh, Rick, uh, Ricky Steamboat pinned Dan Spivey with a splash off the top. Not good because Spivey didn't do very much. Yeah. And... The semi-finals are going to air on January the 9th. Saw so Rhodes pin Atlas. Um, Cactus came to ringside, bandaged heavily and limping around. And Steamboat beat Wyndham. So it's going to be a Rhodes versus Steamboat final. Yeah, that, that Steamboat-Wyndham match too. I, I, when <laughs> A year and a half from now, when we do the 1993 TV, that's a lot. I love that match. It's not talked about at all, but just a great old school limb work focus to pros going out there. That match really kind of impressed me, you know, a four star affair for me, but just in the confines of a TV match, it was a uh, great. Yeah. I, I try to remember if I watched it uh, a couple of months ago or not. Cause I, I watched a quite a fair bit of Wyndham, random Wyndham from like 93 sort of time. Uh, I want to yeah, say I, I may have seen that. I think you did. Yeah, it sounds. I'll, I'll try to look that up while you're. Yeah, it sounds. It sounds like a good match anyway. Because Steamboat is just being. I don't want to say he's been a revelation because it's Ricky Steamboat, but man, he's had a good '92, hasn't he? Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I think it's. You know, we talked about it kind of a little bit under the radar, but yeah, really good. Yeah. Um, well, he's definitely. In, I mean, we'll do the awards on the back of the the, the TV special. But I'm, I'm just saying it here. It's going to be a close call, and 
Steamboat's right in the mix for Worker of the Year for me. Uh, so what else? Um, yes, uh, Paul Hornung, Heisman Trophy winner in the mid-50s at Notre Dame, legendary halfback with the Green Bay Packers in the 60s, did interviews talking about Eric Watts. And we're going to see him again tonight, aren't we? Um, Arn Anderson's slow of action with a knee injury, although Anderson is definitely staying. He's not going to be resting for a while. Still no word on Bobby Eaton. Eaton stays too, doesn't he? Doesn't he just stay all the way to the end, Bobby Eaton? Yeah, yeah. Um, Funk versus Flair is going to uh, air on the 20th of December. Bill Apter was in the 12-14 tapings to tape segments and shoot... Uh, Photos presenting the PWI awards to various WCW personnel. Even though poorly dangerously won manager of the year, he wasn't brought down for the presentations, which seems to be another nail in his coffin. Yet another nail in his column will be... Uh, yet another nail is that his column is going to be pulled from WCW magazine. So the writing is on the wall for Paulie there. Um, Paulie was going to receive his award on 12-19 at the grand opening of the New York City nightclub. Um, so there we go. Even though all pre-match uh, publicity of the Louisville show on 12-9 centred on Watts, who played football there last season, that's Eric Watts, it was Too Cold Scorpio who got the biggest reaction. Watts got a decent amount of cheers and some boos, beating Bobby Eaton with an SDS. So even in his hometown, Eric Watts was booed, is, is the news I'm taking from that. Um... What else have we got? Um, what Eric Watts was heavily booed in Greensboro against Steve Austin with negative signs all over the building. Rude was in Greensboro but didn't work because of a shoulder injury reportedly jumped in a parking lot by someone a lot larger than he was. Rude flattened the guy with one punch. The guy came back later and wound up in his face introduced to the hood of several different cars. Oh, sorry. Uh, the, the guy came back later and wound up with his face introduced to the hood of several different cars. Do you know about this, Chad? <laughs> no, I did not. Uh, so That's an so interesting Rick, story there. Rick, Rick Rue was jumped in the parking lot and then beat the Pretty shit out of him. Pretty badass by Rude. Yeah. Well, I, I always hear that Rude is, is, was really like a tough nut, like a hard, a hard character in the business, you know. Right. Um, and that you wouldn't want to mess with him. So, interesting little story there. Um, Austin versus Rude there. Where is Austin? Yeah, he kind of lost his way. I mean, it's sort of with the Dangerous Alliance fizzling. I mean, you see that... He wasn't on I this car, think... was he? No. And you saw that... Uh, I mean, you saw that Arn, he's not on this car. He's kind of hurt. But even when he wasn't hurt, not very prominent. Bobby Eaton, nowhere to be found. Zabisco's uh, announcer... Yeah, uh, and then um, and then Rude. I mean, Rude's still prominent, but I would say at the end of '92, he's certainly not as hot as he was at the beginning of '92. Absolutely so, right. Well, he lost across, his across the board. They really kind of fizzled. Lost. It was all started going downhill when he shaved that mustache off. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so December oh, the twenty, December the twenty eighth, and this is the last one I've got. I don't know how much detail we want to go into, Chad, but um. Nancer says, with the year coming to a close, I'd like to make my personal 1992 awards picks. And then he goes through every single category, picking out uh, who he has. Wrestler of the year, 
obviously he gives it to Ric Flair. <laughs> uh, the other contenders are um, Manami Toyota, Rick Rude, Kenta Kabashi, Bret Hart, Stan Hansen, and Kawada. Um, looking at what each did, then he goes through all of the different things. Um, and but he ends up picking Flair. So, as you, wrestler of the year, as wrestler of the year, do you, do you agree with that? Um, is this is he doing it as it's like Luthea's box office or is most outstanding? Just wrestler of the year. Yeah. It's just called wrestler of the year. Yeah. So I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, he's not my wrestler of the year. So uh, then, most outs- most outstanding, he gives it to Toyota. Uh, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that would have been the Luthez. Blah blah blah. Yeah, that's fine. Flair's a good choice for that. Most outstanding for Toyota. I can see that she had a really good 1992. Um, 92's kind of an odd year. There's, I, I think, a lot of candidates. Um, and also, as I reiterated, it's one of the years I haven't dived all the way through yet. Yeah. So it's tough for me. I, I mean, I'd probably think Rude or Steamboat are probably top two. Toyota's in the mix. Kobashi uh, is in the mix for me, yeah. as well as uh, maybe Masawa. Um, so. he, he actually says something I strongly disagree with here. He says Toyota is is his pick first, Kobashi second, Liger or Kawada battling for third. Um, top American. Yeah, there too. Top American in his book, Shawn Michaels. So. Oh yeah, I uh, mean, I mean, I, I would have somebody like flair ahead of him and uh just ring work i don't i don't understand that that. that, that's very odd that rude's 1992 for Meltzer is just not even on the i mean because that is such a rep you know yeah not on his radar neither does he mention steamboat um honestly i would uh i would pimp my man hasse he has a great 92 as well a lot a lot of those matches i watched of his were 92 so. Yeah, the blood bath from Muta's And I, I actually, I mean, I haven't seen Muta had a lot of notable matches in '92, but also a lot of shitty ones as we'll get on to. Um, best baby, <laughs> best baby face. Um, he said uh, Hulk Hogan, basically. Nah, I mean, I'd go <laughs> Steam, Steamboat over Hogan for uh, baby face. Sting. Yeah, Sting's not a bad choice. I can handle that. Um, what else? Uh, Davy Boy Smith. Mm. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, he had SummerSlam that year. It was probably his career year, wasn't it? Yeah, I would say, uh, well, really career match. I mean, 93, we'll see, in WCW has a decent run, but uh, I, it's really that one match, you know, because he, he was gone so quickly after it. <laughs> Well, he said there are plenty of other people in that mix. Pero, Guayo, Masawa, Anita. Uh, yeah, I mean, Kabashi should be in it. Kabashi, yeah. Him and Kikuchi was killing it. Savage, Muto, you mentioned, Undertaker. So, mm-hmm. Bret Hart. It's quite interesting. I don't think it's great here, really, isn't it? Yeah, uh, 92 to me is one of the, uh, I mean, worldwide is one of the more interesting years, I think, overall. And then when he... <laughs> look, look at this. Best heel. Uh, he mentions uh, Blue Panther as a Dory Funk Jr. style champion rather than a strong <laughs> heel, which I thought was an interesting comparison. Uh, yep. Um, Tiger Jeet Singh and the Sheik in FMW were strong heels, but in some way they were baby faces. I didn't know the Sheik getting a best heel mention in 1992. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Um, uh, Kanek in Mexico turns too often. 
Uh, Rick Rude stands out. Rick Flair. Um, who else does he mention? Vader. And he ends up picking Vader as the most effective heel. So there we go. Jake Roberts as well. Uh, I, I can't. What did Jake Roberts do in 92? He's kind of well, gone. I he, mean, he, he, nothing. Yeah, spin the wheel, make the deal in the match at Undertaker at Mania 8. Um, I, I mean, I guess his stuff with Savage blew off too. So he's got some stuff. Then uh, feud of the year, he goes with, uh, he says, nothing can touch Masawa, Kawada, Kobashi, Kikuchi versus Jumbo, Tawe, Fuchi, and Agawa. So I'm not going to argue with that because that's an all-time great feud. Uh, Hogan and Piper versus Flair and Sid Justice. Was that a feud? Flair and Sid Justice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember Flair. I remember Flair versus Piper. I mean that that over Steamboat and Rude. Um, and then he has Liger versus Samurai squeaking by Rude versus Steamboat for third, based on okay. having the superior epic match. Yeah. Well. I well. Okay. Well, we uh, the the Liger St- uh, Samurai match is epic, but so is Beach Blast '92. First off, but those two feuds, as well as uh, I was surprised he didn't mention Toyota versus Yamada. They had an interesting feud that culminated in a hair versus hair match that he was at live. Yeah. Um, and that that's kind of a cool feud of tag team partners that feud, but then remain as a tag team. Uh, but yeah, I mean '92 for feuds. I mean you got the. Uh, Liger Samurai, you got Rude and Steamboat, you got Dangerous Alliance versus, you know, Sting Squadron Kabashi and Kawada and Masawa versus Jumbo's crew there's there's a lot of great feuds he also gives a mention to Sean versus Marty Jannetty, so there we go Um, well that was memorable, people still talking about the kick through the glass don't they, you know Um, tag, tag team of the year, he goes with Toyota and Yamada first then Kabashi and Kikuchi. Uh, and third is Masawa and Kawada. Seems fair enough. Fine with that. Uh, most improved, Mariko Yoshida. Yeah. Of all Japan women. Um, who else has he put in there? El Samurai. Yep. And Suzuki. Uh, I guess that's Minoru Suzuki. Yes, um, yeah. Not, yeah. Not, not the one that we're going to see tonight. Okay. Uh, most unimproved... <laughs> what sort of award is this? <laughs> but his picks are really funny. Hercules, Hernandez, Tony Atlas, well, and Repo Man. Those are... <laughs> okay. Uh, best Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of hate that award because it's like all three of those suck ass anyway. <laughs> well, it's a stupid award, most right. unimproved. Best like, neither None of those three were ever seen. I mean, I guess maybe Smash was, so that's fine, but... Yeah. Yeah, come on. Who thought Hercules was ever really good except some of his stuff in Mid South really early in his career? Best on interviews is Ric Flair, uh, which I'm not going to argue with because I think Flair's 92 is. I, I mean, well, I did a whole show on it once. I, I honestly love his 92 for promos. Uh, mm-hmm. He also puts uh, Jim Cornette in there and. Paulie was incredible at times, which which we've seen, Chad, haven't we? Yeah, it was very yeah, good sure. uh, Most charismatic, he's just gone with Hogan, Sid, and Warrior. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, and then he's got Ricky Troshu as an honourable mention and Maeda. Um, and then best technical wrestler is Jushin Liger, uh, with Hiroshi Hase and Pegasus Kid standing out. Uh, Liger is so spectacular. Hase is so fluid. 
Uh, no offense meant to Bret Hart, but when you say excellence of execution, the man is Hasse. There you go, Dave Meltzer said it, kids. And, Peg- <laughs> and uh, Pegasus Kid. Now you're, now you're vouching, relying on Dave to uh, validate your points. <laughs> well, when he agrees with me, he's spot on, isn't he? Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's always true with Meltzer. He could be out of his mind till he agrees with you on a, a point, and then he's a genius again. <laughs> uh, I think it's a close compare. I think they're both very good uh, execution-wise, Hassett oh, yeah. and Brett. Um, Bruiser Brody Memorial Award goes to Vader. Uh, slam, okay. slam dunk to Vader. Uh, best flying wrestler is Liger. Most overrated. Okay, it has to be Eric Watts. I don't understand that because who who in their right mind ever rated Eric Watts? Stupid, in my view. But then he goes on a whole thing about Bill Watts' nep- nepotism. His other picks, <laughs> his other picks include Van Hammer um, and uh, who else? El Sicolico. El. Who's, oh yeah, yep. Who's, who's, who's the brother of Mil Mascaris and uh, right. Los Caras? So right. those are his picks. Um, most underrated. I don't I mean I don't think anybody rates Van Hammer either, do they? Maybe they, no, not really. Maybe I, 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 but but that that's the problem with that award. The way it's worded is it's most overrated relative to their push, not right. to who thinks highly of them. Okay, well Eric wants a slam dunk then, I guess. Right, and then Van Hammer. I mean, he was getting pushed, so so those were actually good choices. But I hate the way that awards worded. It's still confusing to this day. He's kept that one. Uh, most under most underrated. He's given to Gran Hamada, uh, and he says Gran Hamada is as good a worker as Ric Flair. And almost. Yeah, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I don't. Uh, I don't recall much of Hamada in '92. Um, he oh, was working. He's working. He was in Mexico in UWA. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, Eddie Guerrero um, and Lightning. I don't think he was underrated in '92. And then he's also throwing in Dean Malenko and Masafuchi. Who Masafuchi is a good choice. He's one of the most complete workers in the world, and I actually think he is fantastic in '92. Probably my yeah. favorite year of his. So, um, best promotion. This was a terrible year in the United States, not a good year in Mexico, and an incredible year in Japan. It's it's, it's weird uh, hearing that now uh, that he says it's a terrible year in the night in in the states, but I guess Meltzer's talking about business, not aesthetics, right? Right. So um, he's basically just giving it to all Japan women. So there we go. Um, um, even though he says all Japan men's are the best main events anywhere to be seen, best television show. Um, he's given it to All Japan with New Japan second or Smoky Mountain third. WWF is zilch when it comes to quality of wrestling and a great deal of its product is aimed at the common denominator lower than most cockroaches and WCW just didn't make sense. It was pretty harsh. Pretty harsh on WWF there. It is just funny, isn't it, when you think like we ninety two is held in such great esteem now, and Meltzer's just shitting all over it. Um, yeah, well, I, mean, I think everybody at least acknowledges that it's a good entering year, but a you know a terrible box office year. And Meltzer's always someone that you know he's a journalist, so the the box office and business side of the things does weigh on him. Um, he, yeah. he, you know, he will talk creatively about the quality of the work, but the business side certainly is a part of it. Um, match of the year, 
He says, far and away, this was the best year for actual great wrestling matches in any, in my opinion. There were probably 30 or 40 matches this year that could have cracked the top 100 matches of the decade from our 1989 yearbook. <laughs> uh, limiting it to three has almost been impossible. Um, but he's given it to Toyota versus uh, Yamada Hair versus Hair, which you mentioned. Right. Uh, you had to be there live to understand, he says. But it was one of the great matches. Um Second place is given to Kakuchi and Kabashi versus Fuchi and Ogawa, uh, which okay. is an uh, interesting pick. And then yeah. um, the third best match is given to Toyota and uh, versus Inoue from the Wrestle Marin Piad show. Yeah, Marin Pad. I'm guessing this was before he saw Dream Rush. Dream Rush happened right at the end of November. Um, it seems so, because he hasn't mentioned yeah, it here. So, so it probably uh, would give it to the tag match there. The only U.S. match he mentioned is Liger versus Pillman. Um, manager, so he doesn't mention Rude versus Steamboat. Which or is, War Games. Or War Games. Um, manager of the year. First off, Bobby Heenan, was a, Bobby Heenan was a television announcer, not a manager. So he's not included. Jim Cornette beats out poorly based on the f- fact that Dangerously's role was screwed up after August. Um, what well, what was Cornette doing? He was probably Smoky in, Mountain. in Smoky Mountain, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, baby face managers usually suck, but Paul Bearer's facial expressions and unique character uh, are a good exception to the role. Sherry didn't seem as animated as last year and falls from the top. Not a lot of depth here, although Richard Lee's work shouldn't go unnoticed. So yes, there we go. Rookie Richard Lee's really good this year uh, with the Moon Dogs in Memphis. Excellent. Really excellent. Probably the most underrated, I'd say, uh, hill manager run of all time. Richard Lee. Okay. Richard Lee. Yeah, he has a, a, a whistle and is completely annoying, but really works with the Moondogs. Rookie of the Year is Psychosis. Um, Good choice. Who's uh, just edged it over Rey Mysterio Jr., <laughs> uh, which is interesting. And Volkan is yeah, second. Jesus. So there we go. Um and it, he says if Drew Nakayama doesn't win this category next year, it will either be an incredible miscarriage of justice, he will suffer an injury, or someone is going to debut within the next year to be the best uh, rookie ever to hit the business. So there we go. He's predicting big things for Akiyama in 93. Yeah. Uh, best TV announcer? He can only pick one. Akira Fukuzawa, who is, uh, you, you all know, is the, is the screamy guy on All Japan. Right. Um, he's the guy I've put on the All Japan Excite series uh, intro, for example. Um, even though he doesn't have a clue what he's saying, he gets more and more excited. And I think that's one of those interesting things. I I'm guarantee you that Japanese people don't see it that way. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it, it's a, it's, it, well, I don't know about him, but I know the current New Japan, one of the current New Japan announcers, you know, he gets really excited and stuff like that, too. And he actually currently gets votes, um, you know, in the Observer Awards and stuff because he's very excitable, blah, blah, blah. But the people that are in Japan or foreign and Japanese like Chris Charlton and some others have said, like, one, the Japanese people despise him. And two, he's a, he's, he's pretty much a horrible announcer. I mean, him screaming yeah. is kind of like the equivalent of jerry lawler you know screaming puppies and stuff like that like it's not he's not adding 
to the match. He's well, just basically spouting nonsense. The, the analogy I draw is uh, David Crockett uh, that we've seen. Uh, right. Even so though him, him being excitable. Yeah. Even though me and you like David uh, Crockett, or, or I do at least, um, he he was hated by Meltzer and all of these guys for years, wasn't he? So, um, and he was probably the most excitable. Yeah, uh, I, I really think it's stupid to vote for any uh, announcer that you can't understand what they're saying. I mean, if you're not fluent in the language, it's dumb. I, I do like Giant Barber, but only because he's got that low voice. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> just like you. Somebody's on the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, just mumbling something, you know. Um, uh, the worst TV announcer was David Webb on Global. Jeez, he was bad. Uh, yep. How, how about Doyle King on Global? Uh, the only person who can register in this company is the awful Lord Alfred Hayes. There you go, Chad. Yeah, there you go. Who was in one of his peak years with uh, in the in the Mooney Hayes partnership. So many VHS videos of least that year. And friends, if you're on eBay, look out because I'm going to be selling them all very soon. <laughs> so you can get a good price on vintage VHS tapes <laughs> if anybody's still buying them. No. <laughs> uh, but most of them are from 92. Um, oh, yeah. In fact, well, while I'm on the, the shell, uh, you could even buy off me the UK PAL version of Super Brawl 3, <laughs> uh, which is our next uh, pay-per-view. So you could get it in time and watch it, uh, you know, <laughs> even though it's the Turner edit, so it's not even the whole show. <laughs> yeah, what a show. <laughs> Best big show, All Japan Women. Worst major show, any guesses? It's obviously uh, Halloween Havoc. Ha- Halloween Havoc. Uh, Best wrestling maneuver was the great Suzuki's moon Moonsault. Uh, also, Toyota's Moon Salt and Scorpio Splash. Uh, Rey Mysterio Jr. coming off the top rope into a Frankensteiner defies the laws of physics. And um, we've come. A, he says, "Boy, we've sure come a long way from Scott Steiner's Frankensteiner. Was the greatest move in the world, haven't we?" He says, which seems ridiculous now. Um, uh, but do you know what? I don't know if we've moved a long way from the moves that Rey Mysterio was doing. No, I mean, nah. I mean, you can only sometimes like with six thirties and stuff, I guess, to a degree. But I, I uh, mean, overall, I mean, I mean, I think the moonsault was certainly a advancement. Okay, but I, I don't know beyond that. I mean, because you got to think. I mean, even in the seventies, you had the bombs away. Yep. So the moonsault compared to the bombs away, it was still, you know, move off the top rope or whatever. So yeah, I, 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 I think overall that stuff kind of gets in, inflated a, a decent amount. I mean, I, I do think we're seeing some uh, 2016 for sure with Will Ospreay and some of the other Flyers Phoenix. Uh, you're seeing some of the most innovative flippy type moves that we've seen. And their spectacular athletic displays, but it's, it kind of is what it is. I mean, the space flying tiger drop is also pretty awesome. So. Okay. Uh, I, I don't, God, how many awards are there? Bloody oh, hell. Like, see, because, you know, <laughs> you got all the Category B. I think I, this is sort of the Category Bs, but, oh, there's so many. Uh, okay. I, I, let, let me just like go through them quick fire then, shall we? 
Uh, what most disgusting promotional tactic? Yeah, this is always a fun one. He says, uh, "I only saw Eric's push. I only saw Ultimate Warrior throw up once. I'd have to watch, uh, <laughs> you know, who being shoved down everyone's throat every week." He's talking about go. Eric Wads, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, best color. Co- I love how Bob Backlund as WWF champion won that like two <laughs> years of row, I think. Or- <laughs> uh, <laughs> did, 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 surely, uh, Boss Man with the dog won it one year, didn't it? <laughs> that has to. That has to. There's be. been some bad promotional tactics that hadn't won. I mean, like you think about like Fritz von Erich forging his dead son's signature. I mean, that's a bad promotional tactic, yeah. and uh, I don't think that won. Uh, best color commentator. I've been a big fan of Jesse Ventura as a color commentator and Dutch Mantella, some funny mannerisms. But in 1992, the best was Bobby Heenan. Boo! No, yeah. it was Jesse. It was Jesse. <laughs> it was actually Dutch, but close. Uh, yeah, all the hipsters are saying Dutch Mantella is in fact. It is Jesse. <laughs> all of you shut up. It's Je- Jesse is the best color commentator. Dutch Mantel. <laughs> in nonsense. Anyway, uh, worst wrestler. Uh, Andre the Giant in a league by himself. Very sad. Still over though. Oh, very sad. Uh, worst tag team was Chavo Guerrero and uh, that El Cicolico again. Uh, and it wasn't because of uh, Chavo Guerrero. He really hates this guy, doesn't he? Uh, <laughs> actually, actually, the Bushwhackers may have been worse, but we ha- hardly saw them. Uh, worst TV show, Global on ESPN. Uh, worst manager, it has, and probably always will remain, Mr. Fuji. <laughs> <laughs> he still used uh, uh, as a stale waste. Now it's gotten worse. Who does he have pictures of? Asked Meltzer. Are you, how is he still in a job? <laughs> now, 92 is a very interesting year for Mr. Fuji because, fans, um, he transitions from the Hass and Tai Fuji into the bald kind of samurai master, you know, Do- dojo, dojo yeah. master Fuji. And at one of the shows, I think it's SummerSlam 92, I want to say. It's the one where Yokozuna squashes Virgil. Uh, uh, yeah, Survivor Series, I think. Yeah, he's still kind of like in transition, so he's still got hair. Um, but he started wearing the, the robe. Um, <laughs> it's a very interesting little in-between. And then by the time 93 swings around, he's lost the hair as well. Um, so interesting, if you can track down that particular match, you can see an in-between Fuji there. Uh, he also, to me, seems like he loses a ton of weight as well. Oh, man. I'm a big fan of Fuji. Well, I was going to say, what a Fuji apology. <laughs> <laughs> I think Meltzer's buried Fuji oh, for so long. Oh, my God. <laughs> what Titan's influence is track down Fuji changing outfits. You're asking people <laughs> to track that down? Well, I think it's really important. Oh, my you know. Lord. Uh, worst match of the year. Hulk Hogan versus Sid Justice at WrestleMania. Granted, Sid is as bad as it gets as far as someone to work with, but Hulk did carry Ultimate Warrior at WrestleMania. Do you you ever watch Big Brother, Par? I I have seen it, yes. Sid's son is in the uh, U.S. Big Brother this year. (laughs) Right, okay. Yeah, and uh, the other day, uh, he's uh, running his mouth. He's in trouble right now. But um, the other day, he had to explain to someone that uh, WWE was not indeed real. <laughs> um, is it? WWE was real. Just remind uh, people are going to laugh here. Is, is, Sid, is Sid still with us? Is he still alive? Yeah, he's still. Alive. What, actually, he? uh, this is. I mean, he's just hanging out. What's he? What's he doing these days? Uh, I'm sure, he made enough money. I mean, you got to think he. 
did he get injured or is he still? Well, yeah, well, I mean, he broke his leg and all that, but I, I still, he, I mean, I th- he's I not think like in he, a wheelchair like Lex Luger, right? No, I mean, he could still work if you wanted. If you were a big money mark, I mean, he, who knows how much he would be? But I'm guessing you could probably get Sid to appear on your show for you know ten grand or whatever. Interesting. I never really thought about. It. He's another one. Like, he's kind of like a prototype Kevin Nash in a way. Somebody who actually like was terrible did well actually did well in the business and managed to get himself overvalued somehow because he was never he was never like a proven draw or anything but he always managed to get a massive payday well he had he had a weird charisma i mean he'd always like if you were at the show he was always over but he would never get people to really get to the show he's one of those one of my old axes to grind is that uh he's another one who always gets cheered as a always always gets cheered as a heel and yep uh, as we've seen, worst feud was uh, Ultimate Warrior versus Papa Shango, which destroyed TV ratings, badly hurt a promotion, and did everything a feud wasn't supposed to do. The angle was negative, the heel wasn't be ready to be put on top, the houses were bad, the matches were worse, the promotion was still as still yet to recover from it. I think that's going a bit far, Meltzer. That mm-hmm. Ultimate Warrior versus Papa Shango destroyed the gate. I'm not sure if that's true. <laughs> um, worst promotion. Uh, as bad as WCW was this year, and as bad as the WWF collapsed this year, it has to be global. <laughs> uh, is global really that bad? Uh, sounds like it. Yeah, global, global. Um, best Booker, he's basically said that New Japan's group of Ricky Choshu, Masa Saito, Hiroshi Hasi, and so on, great match quality, right amount of angles. Basically, he's given it to Ricky Choshu. Um, and then he's given it to Jim Cornette, who did a great job. And third, he's given to Vince. Um, he did a great job with what he had, but he had the ability to get, to get better talent, and he made the mistake of trying to serve too many masters. In the end, ended up serving none. So there we go. I actually, I actually am a bit of an apologist for 92 WWF. I think it's a perfectly well-booked year. Um, business was down, but... I actually think it's a decent year. I mean, yeah, Papa Shango versus Warrior, but there's a lot. Yeah, of Yeah, I like '92 WWF. Um, you know, still I, mean, weird. I, I think it's better overall than '93, '94, '95. Stuff Even, like uh, Michaels versus Rick Martel is a little feud in there, and you know, just it's all right. Uh, it's probably better than '92. So really, in the first six years of, I mean, and, and you know, '98, '99 has the great angles, but terrible entering. I mean, I, I could almost say you could make a case that 92 WWF is top two or three year of the decade. It's just kind of weird to think about, but probably is. Uh, best promoter, he's given it to Giant Barber. He doesn't do a lot, but maybe that's the best policy. Everything yeah. works, nothing is broken. I uh, can't argue with that. Um, best gimmick, his favorites were Ice Killer and Mike Samples as Vince McMahon although it had to be toned down when USWA and McMahon started working together. The best new gimmicks were the skinheads and Yokozuna. I'll go with the skinheads because Yokozuna was just getting out of the blocks. Undertaker has been by far the most successful gimmick of the past few years. The worst gimmick, I'd like to say Ron Simmons being pushed as the first black champion, uh, but when a group says it wants to get back to serious wrestling and then pushes Doink the Clown and has Matt <laughs> Moon doing an interview... Saying he's from another planet, well, take your pick. Van, ha- <laughs> Van Hammer 
as a main event, it was a worse gimmick because at least those two gimmicks will never get out of prelims. That's a bad prediction, Meltzer, because Doink is still selling action figures today, isn't he? <laughs> He's still uh, setting YouTube records. Have you seen the Alabama Doink versus Heidenreich? No, no, no. no, no. I have you not. need to watch that one. Heidenreich. It's, uh, okay. it, it's, it's from, a, uh, from a parking lot in a Golden Corral. Uh, why is it why is it saying you is it that ironic oh, it's YouTube so hit? bad it is probably the worst match you've ever seen in your life which, which who's playing doink there i don't know it's some fat like random dude <laughs> and okay. he's not even got like his oh it's so bad it is so bad uh but maybe the worst gimmick of all time was bill watts trying to justify the push for his own son over and over <laughs> and over again or maybe that is the office environment in WCW is such that nobody in the office can get it through to him that nobody buys this explanation. Almost every promoter pushes his son because it's his son, so why don't we just leave it at that without all these futile attempts to justify it as something else? Yeah, killing uh, Eric Watts. He really hates Eric Watts. Uh, most embarrassing wrestler, and this is the last award you'll be grateful to hear. <laughs> uh, it's not a wrestler, but but all the really heavy, outdated racial angles and characters as a group. It's 1992 and pro wrestling needs to get out of the 1960s if it wants to survive. Unfortunately, it's been caught behind the times for so long that in some cases it's only comfortable playing in cities that are also behind the times because all the old tricks still work. The problem is, over the next several years, those places will change the dates on their calendars too. Unless pro wrestling changes the date on its calendar... It'll go the way of the hula hoop and the roller derby. The uh, year was a sobering experience for those who thought the old tricks still worked. Do you agree, Chad, that uh, 1992 proved that old school booking and old school wrestling have to go the way of the dodo? I think uh, I think to a degree in the way he's talking about, but I mean, you could do the same speech for, I mean, current day, I think it's gotten a little better, but it's still not great to where the... Uh, climate of the culture is you know it's not kind of where it needs to be i would say <clears throat> last uh, bit of news then and we're back to wcw land bill watts is not wait, 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 let me let me just say uh, oh, yeah. just a real quick okay because oh. because think about and and i don't know any inside knowledge or you know what what he is behind the scenes but on the uh american independence you have uh, two guys that are very good, and Prince Mustafa Ali, who actually is in the uh, Cruiserweight Classic, and also Isaiah Velasquez. And they run, they uh, primarily are in a promotion called Freelance, which has some buzz. But there's a ton of, uh, of you know, U.S. independent promotions and now U.K. promotions that are generating a ton of buzz. And how many times have you seen uh, Mustafa Ali? who, you know, a Muslim gimmick, but not like in the Muhammad Hassan vein. I mean, where, where else is he working? Not a lot of places. So that's kind of where we're at. Yes. Uh, okay. Well, uh, Bill Watts is now saying that uh, the wrestlers, if they miss time due to injuries, will be paid by workman's comp, which means they'll receive some money, although not the money they would receive if they were working. This is different from what what said in these pages when all the controversy came up and he said he was eliminating workman's comp because it would be a 400,000 per year savings to the company. If it's a change, at least it's a step in the right direction. 
Bobby Eaton is still being booked on house shows after his contract expires. So I suppose that means he's going to get an offer. And then he says it was pretty much disgraceful, the editing job they did on Flair Funk I Quit that aired on Sunday. One of the all-time classic matches were reduced to about four minutes, all of which had Flair on offense. Maybe they Mm. can cut some of those old classic sitcoms on TBS down to four minutes just to show the introductions in the last three minutes of the show. It'll uh, almost make as much sense. If you're going to ruin it, why even show it? Says, <laughs> says Meltzer. So he's pretty... This is uh, this is really KG Meltzer this uh, this week. He, he's uh, he is pretty fired up. Just uh... Grump, grumpy around the holiday. Omni <laughs> <laughs> uh, has a twenty-two thousand dollar advance for Starkey with one week to go. Uh, should look full on television, and it did. It did look like a decent yeah. crowd, didn't it? Uh, I, th- I think they had 8,000 in the building. They had like 6,000 paid. So. Uh, Paulie Dangerously did receive his Manager of the Year award from Pro Wrestling Illustrated at the opening of Club Ema in New York on December the 19th. The event drew some local publicity, including a front-page story in Dangerously's home newspaper and a lot of photo publicity since Dangerously arranged to have the Barbie twins present him the award. A lot of heat con- continues in regards to his future with the company. I expect he'll be working uh, the book dates after Christmas against Medusa, but there doesn't appear to be any plans for him after that. Dangerous c- contract is different from any of the Westers because it is a TBS employee contract rather than an independent contractor deal, and this means that his expenses on the ro- road are paid for by the company, and he also gets the entire company benefits package. TBS has been investing investigating his expense receipts for the past three months a lot of i mean he's probably like uh using them to set the scenes for ecw i suspect um a lot of letters have been sent back and forth between dangerously and wcw over the past week and the two sides appeared uh unless a compromise was reached imminently to be headed towards a major blowout uh and then saturday night on 12 12 the 2.5 rating while main event dropped to a 1.9 um, what did you think of all the new theme music? He says on television. On television this past week, they aired a match with Dustin Rhodes and Ron Simmons versus Paul Orndorff and Rick Rude, which went off the air uh, with Saturday and aired the conclusion on Sunday. Uh, typical. Let's get out of it. DQ. Um, as something that hasn't been done in a while, the idea of continuing a match the next day is probably good, but if it becomes a regular pattern, it'll wear out in a hurry. What do you think of that, Chad? A match going off air and then concluding the next day. Yeah, I, I like it um, as as a as kind of what he said. I mean, I like it as an exception, not the rule. All right. Well, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to review Starcade '92. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. What's up, everybody? This is Kevin Kelly. Make sure you check out every episode of The Kevin Kelly Show right here on the Place to Be Nation. PlaceToBeNation.com, The Kevin Kelly Show. Every episode is a winner. At least we hope. 
Place of Nations, Justin Rosero here. In addition to the Kevin Kelly Show, we have a ton of great podcasts available to you on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and PlaceToBeNation.com. And we now offer them to you on two great feeds as well. On the Place to Be podcast feed, you can check out Scott Criscolo and me on The Mothership, the Place to Be podcast, with our famous Vintage Vault pay-per-view reviews. PTBN also covers current day wrestling with clotheslines and headlines, main event, Mission Indie Possible, in our monthly pay-per-view reaction shows with immediate feedback on WWE, NXT, and Ring of Honor Super Shows. Relive Wrestling's past with our monthly pay-per-view rewind series led by Ben Morse and the Dangerous Alliance Wrestling Podcast as we dive into various subjects in the form of exercises and games. We also have sports covered too with the Sports Lounge, the TJ McLoon Show, and NBA Team Podcast. On our brand new PTB Pop Podcast feed, we offer great shows such as the Glenn Butler Podcast, Our Spectacular, Rank and File, Lucha Undead, as well as a veritable podcast heaven for comics fans with the hard-traveling fanboys, Sellers Points, Todd Weber's Conversation, and Imaginary Stories. Subscribe to both feeds on iTunes and be sure to rate and leave feedback as well. All these shows are available on PlaceMation.com where we cover pro wrestling, sports, movies, comics, plus tournaments and more. Be sure to check out the right-hand side of the site for details on how to support the site when you shop at Amazon and download our free Place to Be Vintage Vault Refresh eBooks. We also want to thank our friends at Boneheads Wing Bar in West Warwick, Rhode Island and Fall River, Massachusetts and Scott Keats' blog of doom. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr as well. PlaceToBeNation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. This is Parv, and I'm here to tell you to listen and subscribe to the pro wrestling only Place to Be Nation podcast network. That's the PWO PTBN podcast network, where you'll find a ton of in depth shows done by hardcore fans. We've got Chris Zellner's One Two Punch of Exile on Bad Street, and with David Bickenspan, a smash hit between the sheets. We've got Wrestling Culture with Dylan Hales and Dave Musgrave. Goodwill Wrestling and the reaction shows with Good Old Will from Texas. We've got This Week in Wrestling with my man Pete and Johnny Sorrow. Stephen Graham and Tim Livingston's Pro Wrestling Super Show. Tag Team's Back Again with Kelly and Marty Sleaze. And a ton of other great shows too. And of course there's Titans of Wrestling and Where the Big Boys Play with yours truly and some dude from down south called Chad. PWO, PTBN, Podcast Network. All right, welcome back, everyone. And if, if you're wondering why Chad is laughing, uh, it's because uh, I revealed that back in 2013, I saw some live show, and uh, apparently some pimped guy is was on the card, <laughs> and I absolutely hated him. Who was this Will Osprey character? Yeah, we were just. Uh, I don't know how we got on this topic of it, but we, I, I remember it was. This was when we were doing the podcast, but this was before kind of the UK indie boom. Mm. So I remember Parv talking about going to this one rep pro show that had Liger on it, and so we were reminiscing about that. And he was like, "Man, I remember the Swords of Essex was just like the worst tag team I've ever seen." I was like, oh, well, guess what? <laughs> Little Billy Ostrich was on that show. Terrible. Or in that tag team. <laughs> well, they were bad that night, anyway. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't think you would think too much of them now. But Is this why everybody's funny. been telling me to watch this Osprey character? It's like, you've got to watch this match. Right? Yeah, yeah, you've no. got to see Osprey. That's I, him. I'd rather not, Chaps. Yeah, you, you, would, you will hate Osprey. Uh, some of Osprey. Most of Osprey's matches you would despise. Okay, uh, let's um, get into Starcade now. Um, and we've got an intro, and there seems to be an awful lot going on on this card. We've got 
like loads of different titles up for grabs the battle bowl the lethal lottery the king of cable um is this loaded or is it just way too complicated i, I think it's too bloated yeah, yeah. for me um, too much so we go now to very very sexy eric bischoff uh look at his hair did you see that he was just <laughs> i've written here I, I wish i had hair like eric bischoff at this era um and he reveals that rick rude is injured and that steve williams is going to be the replacement now i guess the injury to rude couldn't be helped and we heard there that he may have actually exacerbated it in that parking lot brawl which i didn't know about uh, do you think williams was the best possible replacement here i think that's a really interesting question that we should ask right at the top um i don't know i uh, uh, i guess what do you think i'm still kind of hashing out my thoughts uh well i'm trying i i've been thinking about this since i since i wrote it down there i don't know who else you could really put into the spot um, yeah you can, me, but giving us the world title, you can always go face versus face. You could always say, well, how about Ron Simmons versus Steamboat, say? Or Ron Simmons versus, um, I don't know what else you put in there, Barry Windham. Yeah, that's, that was kind of where I was struggling when you posed it to me, because I don't know... Uh, um, I, don't, I don't know who, who else could kind of fit that mold. I, I don't think Windham's got the star power, but I think that... Um, as a legitimate contender who's been there and done it, Steamboat is probably the biggest name you could put in there. Um, and they could probably have put on a decent big man versus little man match as well. I'd have thought. But it, it would be it would probably ruin the, the tag booking then. Um, if you put Steamboat in there. And he was already working double duty, so... <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, that will, we'll get to that. But this show to me was... Yeah, with the convolutedness of everything, there was too many people we saw too many times, and that was the problem. Now, now Bill Watts is with Hank Aaron and Tony Schiavone, and they're all here to give Sting, get this, Chad, his ring, his battle ball ring from last year. <laughs> what, what do you think of this? Uh, I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad he got that. But I mean. If, if before this happened, if I'd asked you who won Battle Bowl last year, would you have remembered it was Sting? No. Not me either, so uh, I don't do, know. No, given the hype they give this ring throughout this show, right? do you think still, uh, Sting has still got his ring? No. It's, uh, I, I, well, maybe. I mean, maybe. If it, it was somebody... Doesn't wear it with pride next to I don't other. think he wears it with pride, but I was going to say if it was somebody of a less uh, moral fiber, maybe it's in a pawn shop somewhere, but <laughs> I don't know. Sting may have gone to it. I would like to say Sting wears his battle ball ring with his Hall of Fame ring. <laughs> Both of them together, pride of place. Um, Larry Zabisco is with Missy Hyatt, um, and they're going to make the lethal lottery draw. Now, what is Missy Hyatt's outfit here? Because it, it, it looks like uh, she's wearing yeah, this. This is a weird phase for Missy, where she's starting to transition into, uh, I guess, Nasty Boys will be the next run. But, yeah, there there was a lot going on with Missy here. It, I mean, I've described it. It's like she's wearing two gun holsters over her uh, breasts. Right. right. Really weird outfit. Um, not the most flattering outfit, either. It just looks... No, looks I 
Yeah, it was kind of odd. And anyway, as the names come out with a hat, it's Heavy Metal Van Hammer and Dan Spivey, and they're taking on Cactus Jack and Johnny B. Bad. And I, I've written here, I like Van Hammer's music. Was it a WWE dub? Seems like uh, seemed like it, because then Spivey came out to the same theme, and then so right. did the opponents. And in fact, every single person on this card came out to the same theme. Um, I think it was the 1992 Starcade music, and they used it throughout the whole Lethal Lottery and the Battle Bowl, rather than giving people their individual ones. Um, now, I don't know if that's a, a dub over or not. Somebody will tell us, but... Yes, I liked it at first, and then it started to get pretty annoying as the as the card progressed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, right. So unusual looking matchup. What did you make of it? Yeah. So uh, so Cactus Jack took Hammer down very early and tries to pin him uh, with his foot on the ropes to cheat. Um, I thought bad. I, I think we're starting to see Johnny B. Bad start to become a pretty good worker here. Um, he does a really good Hurricane Rana combo that dumped Van Hammer right on his head i thought him and um cactus jack actually worked well together as a team which was surprising and i also thought cactus jack looked pretty motivated here uh, he had a sequence where he went after uh, spivey um and maybe it's because he was turning face and the promotion was starting to kind of get behind him a little bit uh or at least that's what they were proposing to him so that's why he was kind of motivated uh Spivey gets a Russian leg sweep for a near fall. Um, and then we go to the finish where Johnny B. Bad tries to break up a pin, but accidentally elbows Cactus Jack. They kind of start arguing and, uh, I, I guess, kind of bickering with each other. Johnny B. Bad hits him with the big punch, and that allows Van Hammer and Spivey to win, which was disappointing because I'd certainly like to see Jack and Bad more in the uh, battle bowl. Um, I, I, but I actually thought this match was kind of better than it had any right to be. I mean, considering Spivey and Van Hammer was on one side. I mean, I gave it two and a half. It's not like it's a great match, but I thought it was enjoyable, and I actually thought it'd be a train wreck. Um, well, I, I thought it was a botch on that Hurricane Mana, Chad. You dropped him right on his... That was surely a botch, wasn't it? <laughs> Maybe, but it looked great. I mean, it dumped Hammer right on his dome. So. I mean, g- given that it's Van Hammer, I mean, I guess... <laughs> yeah, you're probably right, but it actually was a botch that looked brutal, so... <laughs> um, not bad action. It is what it is, I guess. Um, yeah. I, I thought the Spivey looked a bit like Wyndham from a certain angle during this match. Yeah, he did. And so it's, I tell you what, he confused me in the Battle Bowl especially when we get to it, because there was times when he was paired off on one side, especially when they do this camera angle that we'll get to with three screens up at once, and you can't tell what the hell's going on. But he did kind of look like uh, Wendell a good bit. Well, I gave it one and a half. Oh, uh, come on. N- n- <laughs> I mean, not bad. You know, it was there. It was I, I don't know. Maybe I was in a good mood. I mean, I still don't like the Battle Bowl concept as a whole. And if they were going to do it, I don't want to do it on Starcade because I think it dilutes Starcade, what it should be. But maybe I was in a good mood watching these matches. But as we'll get to, I, I like the Battle Bowl tag matches better this year than in 91, pretty much across the board. Okay. So oh. we, we go to the next draw, and it's uh, Dustin Rhodes, and he's paired off with Vader. Pretty awesome team. Which is a decent-looking team on paper, and then they come up against uh, Sasaki. Yeah. 
and the Barbarian. Actually a pretty fun team too. Colts favorite the Barbarian, an intriguing <laughs> looking matchup. Yeah. Um, and I, I thought the uh, Bob and uh, Vader shaking hands was a nice touch at the start. Right. Heel, 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 shaking hands. Yeah. And there's some respect shown to each other. Um, what do you make of this one? I, I also liked uh, Harley's Tux. Yeah. I thought that was on point <laughs> for the night. Um, a Barbarian and Dustin have some good sequences uh, with Barb uh, tagging out after hitting a back suplex in the early going. Um, and then I thought the pace quickened when Sasaki enters and uh, the strikes kind of start going uh, more frequently. Dustin Rhodes' chops, I made a note of those during this match. I thought they looked really good here. And I thought Dustin looked good overall. He had a nice drop kick to counter out the high-flying uh, Sasaki move from the top rope. And then right after that, Vader does a big splash from the mineral rope that looks like it squishes a Sasaki into the mat. Um, the finish here, I, I didn't like because I thought it was way too similar to the previous match where you have some miscommunication with one team. In this case, Barbarian accidentally clotheslines uh, Sasaki, and Rhodes is able to uh, roll him up. But then after the match, I love this part. So Vader and Dustin have advanced. They're going to Battle Bowl. But now, I mean, Vader doesn't need Dustin anymore. You don't have to be, you know, cohesive with him because they're in the Battle Bowl. So it doesn't matter. So he just decides to like completely clobber Dustin after the match in an excellent heel move. And then him and Barbarian kind of walk off together with the heels triumphant, which I thought was pretty awesome. I went uh, two and three quarters on this one. Your favorite rating. Yeah, and then we got a little uh, patented uh, Harley Race knee drop. Uh, oh, to... yeah. <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> which Harley was... getting in on it. <laughs> <laughs> which uh, which was funny. I, and... Um... I, I quite like the, the Jesse and Jim Ross reaction to that as well. Um, yeah, I, I really like the Vader and Barbarian uh, opening exchanges, actually. Um, that that opening was really well worked to kind of like establish two monsters, a movable object, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought at one point that Dustin hit a clothesline that looked pretty awkward, um, which uh, is a bit nitpicky of me, I know. Um, but good meaty action in this. It actually reminded me of, you know, Shades of Mid-South uh times you know that kind of big mm. you know four yeah. big meaty guys um yep. dug it quite a bit i gave it three stars so nice. you know if i gave the two and three quarters rating i'd probably give it that but, <laughs> uh yeah echo your thoughts really um yeah good fun and it didn't actually say it's welcome because we're right on to the next lethal lottery match now which is barry windham and the great muta taking on two cold scorpio and Flying Brian. <laughs> yeah, this I in this um yeah, we should say that. I mean these these matches they come out fast and furious. I mean within the first forty five minutes of the show we're done with the battle bowl tags. So well, it's 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 quick. What a matchup on paper. Yeah, this match looks really good on paper, especially if you get motivated Mudo. Um I thought this started out really hot with Scorpio and Wyndham. I mean, we'll see them in a match in 93. I thought they showed their great chemistry together right here. Uh, and then Pillman and Wyndham, I thought that was cool when they got in there together. Because, I mean, they're a tag team, but they're still dicks to each other. Yeah. And they didn't really hold anything back, uh, which kind of puts over the importance of Battle Bowl. 
Uh, Muto looked pretty good in this match. Um, he hit the back spin kick and was getting a pop from the crowd. Um, they start to work over Scorpio some. Uh, Pillman gets pushed off the uh, apron. And <laughs> something about this match, I thought, like, right as it was starting to get going, it ended. Because, yeah, Pillman gets pushed off the apron, and then we get a moonsault, and all of a sudden, Wyndham and Muda uh, won. Um I, I I don't I don't know it it was it was too abrupt for me. Um, I did like afterwards again with the character work where Pillman kind of showed a split second of remorse uh, once his team lost, but then Wyndham kind of like gets him and they go to the back together, and Muda's kind of playing this lone type uh, loner wolf lone wolf type character. Mm-hmm. Um, so overall, though, I mean, I thought the match was good while it had, but it was just very rushed, and it could have been really good with more time. So I ended up giving it two and a half, but I was kind of disappointed. I, I thought there were some cool moves here. I like that little uh, inverted leg drop thing that Scorpio did at one point from the from the top rope. Yeah. Uh, that looked cool, very flashy. Um, yeah, tumbleweed, I think, is... I, I quite like the... Uh, I quite like the finish because it was a DDT followed by a moonsault and Scorpio took a pretty heavy beating in that last minute or so. Yeah. Um, Muta didn't quite hit the moonsault, which looked a tiny bit botchy to me. I don't know why, maybe it's because I haven't watched uh, wrestling for a while, but I was picking up on a lot of botches tonight for some reason. Um, maybe more than I usually would. But I thought it was an enjoyable match. I, I actually gave it three stars. I thought it was, uh, you know, like... These matches come at a decent pace, and they're they're all quite enjoyable. You know, they, um, so I, I had it around three stars. I didn't... Yeah, I, I mean, I'm probably pretty harsh on this one. It's just like I think it's this would have been on Saturday night, and we actually had motivated Mudo in this match pretty well. So it, I think this could have been like three and a half to four star with like fifteen to sixteen minutes. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, and then we we move straight into the next match, which yeah. is. Dr. Death, Steve Williams, and Sting taking on Eric Watts. Yay! Boo! Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just Jushin Thunder Liger. Um, now, seeing Eric Watts next to Liger, you do realize that Eric Watts is quite a big lad. I always thought okay. he was a skinny weasel, you know? But he's actually way bigger than I remember him, Eric Watts. Or Liger's not as big as I think of him. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think he has decent size. Yeah, I mean, he's skinny, certainly, but not. And maybe that's one of those things where I'm just immune to modern wrestling too, that yeah. I don't look at that that much. But um, well, I mean, he's he's more he's more filled out than those Swords of Essex clowns were. <laughs> 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 All right, so um, I, I I like some of the dynamics. I mean, uh, <laughs> Eric Watts kind of looks like Okada, who's, you know, the New Japan ace now. Yeah. I mean, maybe not quite as filled out, but he's, I mean, they're close enough, you know. I, I like some of the dynamics in this match, Chad, uh, with Eric Watts inexperienced and perhaps uh, in, a, in a little bit over his head. Uh, Liger being Japanese and a man of speed and agility. Uh, Williams a heel and a power man and... Sting as a face and a kind of an kind of jack of all trades, like an all rounder. Uh, there was a real cool mix of different stuff, and I I actually thought that um, this was one of the times in the evening when Ventura and Ross combined well to emphasise all of those different elements in this match. 
So I, I quite like the concept of, of the match in general. What do you make of all that? Now you think uh, you think Watts' inexperience was uh, like that type of vibe was on purpose, or because I think sometimes I, I kind of got that he was a little confused in some of the spots there. Um, well, I, I've, I've also written in my notes, ha 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 ha. Look at Watts' botched drop kick. He is so shit. So oh god, <laughs> yeah, that was really bad. Whew. I mean, God, he's awful. He, I mean, he's he's barely out of training school, isn't he? Yeah, I'm, I, it's tough with Watts because, I mean, he's bad. I don't think he's as bad with just us watching the super shows. I mean, this is pretty much it for him with us, you know. So no, we, 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 he he lingers into '93, doesn't he? He does, but I think by Super Brawl, he's gone. I don't think he's on the Super Brawl card because Watts is already gone. He may be on Super I, Brawl. I think, he's, I think he's on there because that's one of my if, – if if I'm remembering things correctly, that is the card of the legendary um, Ross and uh, – sorry, Shivani and – Yeah, Jessica. that's right. It's uh, that's I forgot. He is in that tag, the opening tag with the Hollywood Blonde. Why are they saying they, Why are they saying boo Shivani? Yeah, that's they're saying, right. They're saying woo. They're saying woo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you are right there. So we will get one more watch. But, I mean, he's in the twilight of his run. So I guess it's not as bad maybe on the super shows as he kind of comes and goes pretty quickly. Um, on TV was a different story, especially with him like going toe to toe with Art Anderson. I mean that that angle was ridiculous. But but anyway, this match. I mean, I said one of these was not like the other because I actually thought without Watts is a pretty also an interesting tag match on paper. Yeah. Um, Liger got worked over, and I thought Doc and Sting had some good offense together again, kind of in their old Mid South uh, glory days, teaming yep. up. Um, this to me of the four matches seemed like the most prolonged face and peril segment we got. Yeah. Uh, and I, I thought that was kind of smart too, because with Liger on face and peril, it took Watts out of the match. So, I mean, he can't really screw too many things up just standing on the apron. Uh, of course, Watt does get the hot tag, but then in my note, I did say it was honestly one of the worst drop kicks I've ever seen on doc. Um, he goes for the SDF, Doc's able to uh, reach the ropes, and then Doc hits the stun gun on White. So I was glad to at least see him get pinned. Um, uh, I wrote in my notes here, that would have taken Jumbo out too. Right. <laughs> Jumbo. I ended up going two stars on this one, though. Uh, maybe a little harsh, but I wasn't too enthused with this one overall. I thought it was an enjoyable match. I gave it two and a half stars. And uh, I wrote, at this point, I was digging the show quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, these were, I mean, the, on one hand, it's like if you're very into the Battle Bowl concept, like somebody like Stephen Graham, then this may feel pretty haphazard. But for somebody that doesn't really care about that, I was kind of uh, relieved to see that they threw all that out there in the first, like, 45 minutes of the show. I mean, it was almost like this was a pre-show, and now we get into the real show. Well... Our first uh, singles match then is uh, Chono defending his NWA title against uh, Muta. Now I, I've written in my notes here, Chad, that I'm not looking forward to this because Chono is shit. Is he <laughs> the worst ever NWA champion? Oh come on, Dan the Beast ever. Well, I mean, I'm. I guess I don't know if you'd say that the NWA title is still proper here. 
But in my mind, after about, you know, when those other guys get involved, it's, you know, Shane Douglas and all that, it stops being the proper title. Yeah. Like, it, it, it's, I guess the last proper champion would be, like, Barry Windham or someone like that. Probably, yeah. When they turn it to the end, the WCW. I would say, yeah, when, when Sting and Flair, like, unify the belts, that's probably it. Yeah. Because they have the international title, because Rude has a little run, doesn't he, as well? Right. Um, anyway, I, I can't think of anyone worse. He's worse than Ron Garvin. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe Dory. He's better than Dory. No, that is trolling. Open trolling. <laughs> uh, right. What did you make of this? Because I've got a, a, a mini rant about it. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, these two guys together. I mean, even Chono as a worker overall, it's more... I mean, these two together are just the most puzzling... It's the most puzzling feud and matches that I can think of in wrestling history. Because they have an absolute match of the year candidate. Great four and three quarters star match at the G1 Climax in 91. I mean, just an outstanding, tremendous match. They have a really good match in the 96 G1 Climax. They have a pretty good, I mean, a you know, three-star match at the 1-4 1993 Tokyo Dome show that's six days after this match. Um, but that's disappointing compared to their previous output. And then this past weekend, you know, I've started watching January 2000 footage. And their match at the 1-4-2000 Tokyo Dome match where Muda is a shell of his former self is also really good. I went three and three quarters on that match. Um, and Muda looked very motivated in that match. Then we get this match where I, 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 I don't know what to say. Like It started out okay with the mat work. I'm tolerant of that and the strike exchange. Um, but man, when they went to the mat, the crowd just died a death. It, it, it just, the air went out of the building as quick as it could. Um, I mean, I thought the mat work they did was okay, but not too inspiring. And it was certainly the wrong type of match they had for this type of crowd in this type of environment. Um, uh, there was a spot where Chono kept sending Muda to the outside. Muda kept rolling back. He Chono then grabbed another arm bar. I mean, it felt like a New Japan match, um, but it just was in front of a crowd that's not conditioned to that and also didn't get quite enough time to where they could build that out where the first half is all map work and then the second half kind of builds off of that to an exciting climax. Um, Muda kind of brings the crowd back a little bit with a superplex. Uh, he starts, but then he starts working the leg with a half crab, and that just kind of goes blah again. They go to their finishing stretch. Um, small package by Muda gets a near fall. It, it, it really felt like in this finishing stretch where Muda started going for the moonsault and all their, they kind of cycled through their big moves. They were then just going through the motions. Uh, Chono's able to hit a back suplex. Muda reverses the second one for another near fall, but then Chono's able to lock in the STF and win. Um, I, this was a match where, again, in the first five minutes, I was ready to give it a chance. I was ready to kind of say, 
you know, this mat work was good. The crowd just didn't give it a chance, and they should have had the foresight to see that, but I actually liked the work in it. But then with the second half of the match, I thought they were just very lazy, mundane. I don't know if they were rattled. I don't know if they didn't care or what, but the second half of the match was just disjointed, uninteresting, and overall this match was a mess. I went one and a half stars. Um, it was bad. Yeah, what a dull match. Uh, Chono targets the leg, does absolutely nothing to keep it interesting, and this is why I hate Chono Chad. Um, you know, my comparison point is 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 Hase, because Hase is someone who always targets one body part and sticks on it, right? Right. And he is a worker who can show you how you can keep that stuff interesting. He will do three or four or five different moves, variations, to work on a leg, say over six or seven minutes on a heat sequence. Chono, I can't even tell you what he did. I just know he worked on the leg for it. It's just listless, boring, boring work. I mean... Yeah, he kind of just grabs it and cranks it. I mean, that's it. I really hate Chono. I've never... Like, <laughs> like, like, I've... Like, no, he's the only worker I've ever seen in a match that I would call five stars who probably wasn't good in that match as well. Like, I couldn't tell you what he did in that match. Um, what's the match? Am I, is that a Hase match I'm thinking of? Uh, I know you like the Hase match. You haven't watched their G191 match, have you? No, no. I think yeah, it was... that fun. one's... I mean, the Hase match, you were really high on that. It was yeah. like four. You were like four and a half or above. Um, yeah. But I, 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 I hated him even in that. And that's a really good match with him in it. So, anyway... Um, yeah, Chono's very, I mean, you know, a broken record, but I've never liked Chono. I've never liked Muda as much as both. That's why neither one of those two was really strong consider for my uh, GWE. So yeah. it's it's all uh, Hashimoto and Hase for me. Of the uh, Even somebody like Sasaki, who I don't like a lot, I'd take certainly over Chono, probably over Muda. Co- completely random finish. Uh, which was abrupt and out of nowhere. I just thought it was an awful match. Bad body of work, bad body, bad narrative, bad finish. Dud, gave it a dud. Nice. <laughs> so there we go. What? Uh, did, uh, we, I guess we should do the melts. Oh yeah, yeah. Shall I hit the melts as? Uh, yeah, let's just go through me- those. Melts on the opener went uh, half a star on the Van Hammer tag. Tough. One star on the Vader Rhodes <laughs> uh, Suzuki Barbarian one. Um, on the Wyndham, Muta, Pillman, Scorpio, he went three and a quarter. Um, on the Williams and Sting versus Liger, Eric Watts, uh, a star and three quarters. Um, obviously he says Watts look bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, he says Williams mercifully ended up hot-shotting Watts for the pin. And then on the NWA title match we've just reviewed, he gave it one star. Yeah, there we go. At least he didn't dip into the negatives. He didn't. I did see that Scott Keith gave it minus two stars. (laughs) (laughs) Time closer to Uh, Scott Keith. I I mean, I don't... That's why I never get the negative stars. I I mean, I don't don't know. The negative stars, there's just something about this. I mean, star ratings are so arbitrary, but... Yeah, like I mean, if this is—I mean, this was a bad match. I mean, I'd have no problem giving this like negative four stars if you're going to dip into the negatives because this was bad. Um, I, I tell you, this 
I felt this car was working along and lovely tick. And mm-hmm. then this just like, oh. Yeah, yeah. This really kind of deflates the car where, and I, I think historically in some ways, because as we'll get to uh, the matches coming up, there's some really good matches that are sort of forgotten in time. Yeah. I think uh, this match and maybe the next one has some. Uh, I tell you what, I will say this match is better than Rude versus Jake at WrestleMania 4. I think so. I mean, I, th- I thought this match was slightly better than Rude versus Chono from Halloween Havoc. I, I can't remember what I gave that now. Did I give that a dud? I don't know. I know we were all skewering it. Um, I mean, they're both bad, though. I, I think I think Rude versus Jake is the is the worst of these kind of like complete shit the bed fifteen minutes right. smack in the middle of the card kill kill the crowd. Um, that's the worst one I can remember seeing in recent years. Yeah, that that's really a match where nothing happens. I mean, no, I mean that's Chin. You hear about Chinlock City? That is Chinlock City. But oh, this well, was bad. This was really bad. Speaking of Rick Rude, he comes out now. And he feels robbed by the decision to be stripped of the U.S. title because he's injured and hasn't defended the belt. Um, and I've just written in my here, my notes here, lose the moustache and lose it all. <laughs> so things going very bad for Rick Rude. And where did the problem start? It's straight oh, moustache off. I mean, <laughs> you realize this is becoming like the political head of uh, where the big boys play <laughs> the rude mustache. I say, hash, hashtag lose the mustache, lose it all. Uh, that's never, never trending in any sense of the word. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, so, next match is the next uh, world title match. This is the WCW world title. Uh, and it's Ron Simmons versus Steve Williams. Um, okay, what did you make of this? I mean, again, I guess their hands were tied, but this did not feel like a world title match to me in any sense of the word. Um, I don't know about with you, but I, I didn't get a sense of buzz for this one. Williams a step up from Barbie, you reckon? I guess, but yeah, but man, I don't know. Oh, we, we, you didn't even mention Rude's denim jacket. Oh, awesome. yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Rude, Rick Rude was wearing a denim jacket. To 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 compound the lack of Sorry, I lose my headset. I'm so excited about this <laughs> denim jacket. <laughs> why, don't you, why don't you tell us about this denim jacket, Chad? Oh, uh, I mean, it was, it was just, it was straight out of, like, 1992. I mean, it was <laughs> the most, uh, most 90s things I've seen in some time. Uh, I, I, just, I just thought it was glorious. Uh, so, so the match proper, I, I mean, we, we get the respect opening. They do the football stance spot. Um, and I, I did like Simmons. He works over the arm in a decent fashion with Doc starting to kind of progressively cheat more. Uh, Doc then uh, grabs the hair, and now they kind of, you know, before they were respecting each other, but their tempers are flaring up now, and they're kind of uh, hitting each other with strikes. Um, but I, 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 and I think this is where the previous match kind of um, deflated this one because they built up to that spot. I thought, well, and you could tell when they did the big punch off, they expected like a really good crowd reaction. 
And even Ross was like, oh, they're trading shots now, you know, trying to, like, ramp it up. And the crowd just didn't care. I mean, they didn't give a shit. So that was kind of disappointing. Uh, Williams began to focus on the right leg of Simmons, um, which, you know, was weird because usually it's the left leg that is focused on in U.S. wrestling, which I thought was odd. I thought Williams' work was solid on the leg. It wasn't great, but it was fine. Uh, Simmons gets a desperation clothesline and a spine buster. But then, I mean, I, I thought Ron Simmons' selling was awful here because, I, I mean, leg selling is kind of subjective to a degree because it's how much, you know, should your leg be totally damaged, should your arm be totally damaged, blah, blah, blah. You know, after how long a point of time can you use the limb again? You know, there's a lot of factors there. But Williams did work over that leg for a prolonged... I mean, that was the heat segment, was him working over the leg. And Simmons then just gets up and rolls through his offense and does his uh, football tackling tamp routine, you know, just running around on the leg, not even limping afterwards, not even checking on it, you know, feeling it out. I thought it was awful. Um, outside he goes for the clothesline, but he hits the post. Then he's able to ram Dr. Death into the post and we get a bullshit finish where, uh, Nick Patrick counts both men out. Doc attacks afterwards and runs through some offense, uh, to pin Ron Simmons. Um, but you know, the match is over. Simmons is all fired up after the match. And asking for a rematch, which the crowd is kind of like, eh, I guess so. <laughs> they're not too enthused about it. But then, in one of the most asinine things, you know, I mean, Doc did attack him after the bell, but they end up DQing Simmons. Um, uh, and then Jesse, and this is where I actually like Jesse. This was uh, Jesse's big rally and cry for this show. Is he, he, he is like, well, how can you DQ somebody when the match is over? I mean, what are you disqualifying him from? The match is over. Um, if, if the referee did that every time there was post-match now. Yeah, I mean, think about that. Every time somebody attacks after the what, bell. Why wasn't just, Vader disqualified earlier? Yeah. Well, I guess it was, his, it was his own partner, I guess. You know? <laughs> God, this, that's true. I didn't so even think stupid. Yeah. Fucking stupid. God, that was dumb. So, so overall, I mean, this, I gave it two stars reading back my notes. I think that may be generous. I did like the, uh, (laughs) I did like the Dr. Death leg work, but I mean, Simmons was bad in selling it a really bad performance in selling that leg. And the finish is just asinine. So pretty awful. Uh, I've written here, they tried to build this around the football rivalry, um, but this was not a good match. Never really got going in 15 minutes. I actually thought William seemed to be really goofy in his taunts when he was on top. What was yeah. all that stuff about? It just seemed like... He, he does that little, like, patter stance and, like, yelling and stuff. Yeah, yeah. he kind of does that. Uh, finish, awful, as we talked about. Reversing the double counter. I mean, as if anybody cared, you know? What the hell? <laughs> I know, I know. Um, <laughs> And then... Uh, I just... Meltzer gave this a star and a quarter. I gave it yeah. one star. Yeah. Um, Melt is written here. The WCW title came off so unimportant it was pathetic. Oh, with God. them acting like the King of Cable Trophy and the Battle Bowl ring were more important than the world title. To make matters worse, Simmons was booed a whole lot uh, when they raised his hand in victory, and I I hear that as well. Loud boos for Simmons. 
Um, I think everyone has finally come to the conclusion that the experiment was a... F- so, and I've written in my notes here that um, the whole Ron Simmons title run was bad all around. Actually worse watching it again now in 2016 than I remember it watching yeah. it a few years ago. Um, you've got to think the plan was to put the belt on Rude here, wasn't it? I w- yeah, I didn't even think about that, but I would think, yeah, they might have pulled the trigger on Rude here and then done Rude Invader. Why on earth wouldn't you have Simmons going over Williams? Like, they're obviously protecting Steve Williams here. Yeah, that makes sense now that you uh, say that out loud. Um, yep. Uh so really bad. I mean, this is a really bad rain. I mean, this is. I mean, anybody that talks about Ron Garvin in '87. I mean, watch watch this rain. It's bad. So all around, the Simmons rain was a disaster. Very mid cardy and just not got nothing to recommend it really. No, he clearly just failed in the role. Um, I would say. Is it Simmons' fault, or is it the fault of the booking in the first place? But a book booking was bad. I mean, I don't think again putting him in with Barbarian was a weird choice. But I mean, Williams is carryable, and I thought he was carryable to a degree in this match. I mean, as we'll see in '93, Williams has a good many good matches to very good to sometimes great matches in all Japan. 94 Williams is actually actively great, which is surprising considering where he's at. But even in 92, I mean, Williams has good tag matches and I thought was, uh, he was moldable into a very good singles match. And we didn't get that here or anything close. One of the things that I keep on thinking is that the the timing was wrong on the Simmons title reign. You know, if, if you had the lightning in the bottle, like the, 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 the zeitgeist moment, if you want, it was right. around the time he was feuding with Luger back in 91. That's when he seemed like he was over enough to maybe consider for the title. Like, when they actually put the title on him, it was like, it seems weird, even looking at it uh, with the benefit of hindsight. Uh, but even at the time, I remember not thinking that Ron Simmons was a top guy, even as a no. Yeah, I mean, I think part of that's competition, though. I mean, why? I mean, they really probably, honestly, should have done him versus Sting. Uh, and, Simmons versus Sting. Yeah. Yeah. Because cause that could have, you know, if he if after that he can't get over, then you know it's a lost cause. But I mean, Sting was always going to be over. He was kind of bulletproof at that point. So that's probably uh, what they should have done. I mean, how about running Simmons as a heel champ? That might have freed things up a bit, because then he would have had wind. Um, he could have had Wyndham for a certain period. He would have had Dustin Rhodes. He would have had Steamboat. I mean, he could have run through a number of different challengers who right. maybe you could stick up in that bracket, because his contenders were awful as well. No, yeah, yeah, just bad. I mean, everything was bad here. Booking, his performance, uh, the, the crowd ca- reaction. The character they tried to make him. You know, right, yeah. He was never going to be JYD. It's not like he's got no. that sort of charisma, you know? Yeah, no. Um, whereas he works as a ba- as like a ba- badass. We saw that in Doom. We saw it in APA mm-hmm. later in his career in the... What's that thing I, called? The Nation I, with I, Domination? I, I, Honestly, a lot of similarities to me and what you're seeing with Roman Reigns, as with Simmons in this point. Um, 
a, a lot of similarities with the booking perils. Mm. Um, and, you know, here they hit the eject button quickly or relatively quickly. And, you know, we haven't seen that with Reigns, so only time will tell. Oh, he's still the champion, is he? Uh, well, you know, he got popped for a wellness violation. Oh, did he? <laughs> God, Parv, you are out. <laughs> well, who's the who's the who's the champ now then? Dean Ambrose, sir. Oh, fucking hell! <laughs> right, okay. Lunatic fringe. Well, I, I cancel the network, even. I'm not. I'm done. Oh man. boy. I I may watch SummerSlam. We'll see. Dark days for a Parv. Um. Yeah, I'm compl- after WrestleMania. I was. Yeah. Okay. Um. So now it is uh, Ricky Steamboat and Shane Douglas. Taking on Flying Brian and Barry Windham. Um, and Steamboat and Douglas are the tag champs at this point. Um, now, what's your review of this one, Chad? Yeah, so after those two matches, I was like, we need something on this show. And I, I, I'll just say, I thought this match was awesome. I really thought this match was awesome. Um Really nice opening with Douglas frustrating Pillman, and then we get the double shine culminating in a double backdrop to Wyndham. Uh, the heels regroup on the floor. Steamer wants a tag. I love, I love this Ricky Steamboat. He shows more fire. He's not a, a pansy. He's the elder member of the team. I, I just think he's been on point throughout this whole run in 1992. Um, I love the clothesline that Steamboat hit on Barry to send him to the outside. We get some viciousness from Steamboat as he slams Barry on the floor. Uh, Douglas then gets tagged in and slows the match down a little bit, but that kind of makes sense with Douglas being the younger kind of member of the group and kind of going back to basics. Uh, Pillman goes throat thrust into the guardrail. Um, and Wyndham and Pillman, I thought they did a good job of really showing how they're kind of reeling and they're kind of in a state of shock at the domination here. So they kind of needed something to turn the tide of this match, and we get that where Wyndham distracts Douglas when he goes to the top and Pillman then hits a drop kick. Um, and then Wyndham and Pillman are just vicious from that point on where Wyndham clotheslined him. Ter- I mean, that was awesome out of the out of his shoes on the floor. Uh, really great work with them, too. Um, I thought they just smothered Douglas and really focused on the midsection and throat, didn't allow him to get even close to the corner. Um, and again, we see the fire from Steamboat as he uses a chair on the outside. And God, Jesse went nuts for that one, um, calling for a DQ and everything, which was pretty humorous. Uh, we get some excellent teases. Uh and then, and then Douglas at one point even goes to the wrong corner to try to make a tag. The hot tag is eventually made. Steamboat, of course, goes nuts. But Wyndham retains the momentum with a nice power slam. Steamboat gets posted outside. And then I thought Pillman hit a kind of a crazy head scissors on Steamboat. And then Wyndham comes off the top rope with a clobbering elbow, um, which was excellent double-team move there. Uh, St- uh, this match really showed... Steamboat, like, not backing down. He keeps pointing at Wyndham at one point, and then in a uh, kind of surprise finish, uh, Douglas gets the tag, runs through his offense, and gets the uh, pin on Pillman to, uh, to a really good pop from the crowd. I thought this match saved the show. 
honestly, as one more kind of mundane or bad match and the crowd would have been totally done and the show would have been panned overall. Um, maybe it's in the process of watching this whole show because I had seen this match before and thought it was great, but kind of in the four-star range. But watching it in the confines of the show overall, this time I really loved it, and it's one of my kind of favorite tag matches of the decade, actually, in uh, WCW, and I went four and a half stars. Yep. Uh, well, exactly the uh, same. Um, exactly the same rating I've got, four and a half. Great old school uh, tag, work double heat. Uh, I thought uh, Douglas was decent as the face in peril. Obviously, Steamer was even better as the face in peril. Um, I like the little bits of kind of like, not heel Steamboat, but he was like, he was prepared to use the chair and right. he was clearly emotional. And every once in a while, Steamboat does that. Like he, he's got some moments of it where he does it in the early 80s. Um, so there we go. Um, crisp action, well worked, good storytelling, and basically the correct finish for the for the angle. So yeah, sure. it was really the whole match was really good, and uh, seeing it in the con, you know, bringing the crowd round is you know something that is not always easy to do because once a crowd is dead, they're dead, you know. Um, yeah, and they yeah. managed to turn them round. So excellent. Um, Meltzer went four and a quarter. So only marginally less than yeah. This is one. This is one I'd recommend people seek out. I feel like this is pretty forgotten. Um, I, I mean, maybe it won't get the same love as we're giving it here. I mean, I know like the the uh, Midnight Express, Rock and Roll Express match from Wrestle War '90 that I love so much. A couple of uh, other people have watched it, and not dug it as much as me. But I I uh, I really championed this one. I thought it was a great match. Yeah, it really is. And uh, yet another really good match of Steamboat in 1992. Yep. So, yep. Um, now we get a recap of the Sting and the Vader feud, um, including some little bits that we haven't seen. Um, what do you make of the uh, bandana on Vader's head as he comes? Yeah, out? <laughs> it was it was like a do rag. I made a note of that too. <laughs> that was a uh, interesting choice. Um, I, don't, I don't know. And uh, well, then this is another interesting much talked about match sting invader um i have a series of questions to ask you after your review chad so um we'll hold off on that but tell me what you make of the match first so uh sting punches to start i thought were awesome uh vader just kind of shrugs them off tells them to bring it we get two big slams by vader i thought i harley race to me is kind of growing as a manager role i thought he's good with luger um, I love him talking shit on the outside here. I've, I've really enjoyed him in that role. Um, thought he was really good here. Uh, Vader's just kind of manhandling Sting, throws him over the ropes. Uh, Sting is able to get some offense, little glimpses, where he went to point and rams Vader with an over-the-top kick. Um, and then he hits a German, and Sting clotheslines uh, Vader over the top. Uh, that was cool because that showed that, you know, Vader realized he was in for a fight. He took off the mask on the outside and got pissed off. Um, then Sting does a crossbody onto Race and Vader on the outside, which was another nice spot. Um, Sting gets caught with a boot, but he catches Vader with a DDT. When Vader makes a mistake, he hits a huge DDT from the 
second rope. He uh, gets the scorpion on for a moment, but Vader is able to reach the rope. Uh, Sting goes for Stinger Splash to the outside, but he hits the guardrail, and then Vader now really takes over. I thought he demolished Sting in this section. Uh, good splashes and power moves. Sting's kind of very, very barely able to hang on. Um, which causes Vader to get more frustrated, and, and he kind of just starts punching away on Sting. Big comeback from Sting where he hulks up. Uh, I thought, again, Sting's strikes have looked good. I think that kind of what makes this feud is Sting's strikes look both uh, aesthetically good and actually believable and that they could reel Vader, and that's very important for somebody that's going toe-to-toe with somebody like Vader. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sting hits a big Samoan drop, big splash from the top for a big near fall. Then Vader hits a um, choke slam, but he uh, makes the big kind of cardinal mistake of the match as he goes for the top. Sting power is able to power slam, power slam him and get the win for a huge pop. Um, I, I thought this was another great physical match between these two. I didn't think it was quite as good as the Great American Bash match. Um, and I know this trilogy, some this is their favorite, some it's not whatever for me personally and we're watching the super brawl match again but i watched it about a year ago um so so i would have this number three behind great american bash and super brawl and uh i ended up only giving it you know only giving it four stars but to me this is another great match i mean to me it's a welcome entry into their feud as a whole incredible well, i i think the match holds up a good bit um uh, other than what you mentioned, Chad, I, I like Jesse hinging on that little detail of Vader getting up before skin, uh, before Sting on his own back suplex. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, that was that was a good. I, I, this I thought was very good, good uh, commentary night for Jesse. I mean, to me, that's what makes him the better. Like you know, they always say who's a better color commentator, Heenan or Heenan or Jesse. Jesse. It's because yeah. Jesse can give you little bits of insight like that. Whereas Heenan's always just just comedy or just character. Yeah, him and Ross didn't seem to be as as uh, much at odds with each other as they have uh, in some other it's, shows. It's probably because they knew that Jim Ross is out, or Jim Ross probably knew in his right. head that he was his days were numbered. Um, although that didn't come up in the news, so I guess he maybe they didn't know yet. Not quite. Yeah. But he, they, they, he's gone by by next year, right? Next next year. Yeah, I so. mean, uh, uh, yeah, by Super Bowl. By Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, I really like the section where they kind of replay Rocky versus Mr. T with uh, Vader punching himself out because mm-hmm. it was like Sting was like because you know Sting does the uh, he tries to protect himself when it, uh, Vader's right. doing the punches in the corner which is something that not all like usually they're open and Vader's just kicking the ship but here he protects himself almost like a boxer would and he does it to the point where it's like Vader takes out both of his arms because he's hit him so much. And then Sting is just like, come on, I'm going to take more. I'm going to take more. And that is basically Rocky versus Mr. T, isn't it? Um, so I, I enjoyed that from a narrative perspective. I thought it was a great match. I, I gave it four and three quarters, Ooh, um, nice. which is a yeah, high, I mean, I, high rating, I guess. Yeah, I, I can see. I mean, I. I don't want to. I don't want to put words in his mouth. I think Dylan may like this the most out of all their matches too. I, I I can certainly see the case for it. I just thought there was a couple moments where maybe the comebacks felt a little too easy. 
Um, right. Which, again, like puts it down just slightly below the other two matches. But I, if this is your favorite of the three, I wouldn't like scoff at it. Well, I mean, one of my three questions I can reveal now is, um, in fact, it's just two questions. Was this or the bash match? And I, I picked this one because it's a straight match, not a gimmick. Because the, the bash match is the strap match, right? Uh, Super Bowl. Coming up. Super Bowl is the oh okay. It, remind me of what happens in that bash match. I because that's uh, I gave that a really high rating too, didn't I? Yeah, I mean I, I, the reason I like the bash match more than this one is just kind of the overall story. I mean, Steam felt like the guy of the promotion, and I just love that they put this monster over, which was kind of bunking the conventional wisdom mm-hmm. of wrestling at that point, where Vader goes over, you know, almost you know, clean, you know, he doesn't really cheat. I mean, Sting hits the post, so that was Sting's own fault. Um, So, so I I just love that narrative. I I mean, as far as the in-ring action, this match is probably better maybe than the bash match. I could say that. I just like the bash match story uh, better than this one. Well, they they both thought it was a brilliant one-two punch, whatever. Um, And there's the third one to come, which is the strap. I, I, I actually got those the wrong way around in my head. Um, okay. Um, now what makes Sting the perfect Vader opponent, do you think? Or vice versa, what makes Vader such a good opponent for Sting? Yeah, I, I think kind of what I touched on the strikes is good because Sting is somebody that feels like, I mean, Sting has a different style where he's not really a high flyer, but I mean, he was a powerhouse and those matches with Flair mm-hmm. and that made Flair look weak and that's why we don't like the sting flyer matches as much as kind of his history should tell us we should um but with somebody like vader also a monster it works because it's somebody that won't back down that will give him a beating and i think it kind of works into sting making his powerful comebacks is now he's overcoming the odds because he's been you know killed by this monster vader so he's having to reach down deep and you know kind of build up some strength and some uh, grit that he didn't realize he had. And when he's able to use his punches and the high flying moves like to the outside, it really works as kind of his sudden burst of energy work against the monster force that is here. Yeah. I I think it's because sting is big enough to be believable against Vader, Mm -hmm. but small enough to look like the obvious underdog. underdog. Yeah. It, I mean, let, let's like, pretend it's Hogan for a second. Hogan's just a much bigger man than Sting. Like, he's taller, he's about 50, 60 pounds heavier. Um, and he doesn't have that agility as well, so he can't bump right. around. So that's why it wouldn't, you know, that's why it works particularly well with Sting. If it was smaller, let's say it was Bobby Eaton, you wouldn't buy that Eaton could beat Vader, I don't think. For example, yeah, I'd say uh, I'd say Sting and Dustin Rhodes are kind of the two best at that. Yeah, what you're talking about. All right, well, let's uh, move on then to the <laughs> supposed main. Oh, my main other event. <laughs> my other my other question, by the way, was because um, Tony Schiavone's got an intimate interview now with Paul Hornung, who's got uh, who was at Super Bowl Super Bowl one, and he's got the an original Super Bowl ring. From, from back in the day um and they were talking about you know how people always like a ring and they'll remember it and cherish it forever and people will always remember when they got their 
uh, battle bowl ring. <laughs> and this is where I asked, <laughs> do you think still uh, Stinger still got his? Because um, uh, it was pretty funny in retrospect. Because right. Did they even try to do it next year in '93? '93, uh, it's its own pay per view, so oh, we'll be yeah, getting yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I probably fi- honestly one of the most forgettable pay per views in wrestling. I history. had a feeling that there was another one. Um, yeah. Anyway, now we've got to the Battle Bowl, and I've just written here: most guys in this match pulled triple duty. Yeah. Uh, like Vader's had two matches already. Stings had two, two matches. Two grueling man. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, significant Wind- matches. Wyndham and Muta have both had two matches. Right. Williams has had two matches. Right. Every- so, Dustin, I mean, it's ridiculous. Triple duty. Um, that's really the only thing I've got to say about the match. I've just written meh, M-E-H. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I did the same thing. <laughs> it's just nothing. I mean, it is what it is. Uh, Meltzer gave it a star and a half. It's about right. Yeah, I, I, uh, I mean, I wrote a few things. I mean, I like that Vader and Sting went after it on the ramp again. Um, I, that was kind of cool, cohesive. I, they did this camera angle, and this is typical WCW production, where you've got a wide shot of the ring as a whole, and then they pop up two square boxes at the bottom yeah. showing two more camera angles. So you have three camera angles, and... It's like when we get to the World War Three um, yeah. Battle Royal and they do the same thing. I mean, you can't tell what's going on. It's so small. I, I, mean, I, I watched this I on my computer the, and I couldn't make it out. I can't stand the split camera at all. I mean, it, yeah, it's, it's hard to watch Battle Royals at the best of time. So Right. Yeah, I mean, two, two split cameras is very confusing. This is three. I mean, it's absurd. There's only eight, there's only eight, there's only eight guys in the ring. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, eight people, and that was stupid. I mean, Dustin and Vader had a nice exchange. Doc gives Vader back the boothplex. Uh, Spivey gets eliminated. Sting and Vader got eliminated pretty quick, which I thought was a surprise. Our final four is uh, Doc, Rhodes, uh, Wyndham, and Muda. Uh, I mean, this is where I wrote. I mean, the final four action I thought was okay, but again, we've seen these guys for so many times already that I was just kind of burnt out on seeing them overall. Um, and then false finishes, Muda skins the cat, and then drop kicks Wyndham two times to eliminate him. Pyro goes off. Uh, I, I actually wrote Mad Battle Royal in my notes as well. I um, mean, it didn't feel like a main event at all. So whole card felt long to me. <laughs> I mean, if I could have cut anything, I'd have cut the Battle Royal and probably Chono Muta. And that may have, like, without that, it could have been quite like a brisk card and it would have breezed by. But those matches in particular really made this feel like three hours. Um, And, uh, yeah, it really did feel like three hours. Uh, Yeah, I I think seeing the guys overall, I mean, because this has two four-star-plus matches for both of us. Yep. Um, So, I mean, it feels like... And a number of three-star matches for me. Yeah. Yeah, you were actually really. I mean, I I enjoyed the battle bowl section too, but overall the the card did feel long just because we saw the guys so many times. If, if I was going to do a turner edit on this, like you, you you could do the lethal lottery and then stick the battle bowl directly after it, so it's like its yeah. own section, 
and then yep. if you followed up with that tag match and Vader Sting and cut the cut the two t- world title matches, it'd feel like a really tight card. That would be my par edit on this. <laughs> <laughs> the the par edit, the the, the uh, network edit that we'd make. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, if if that was the card, you you talk about uh, as one of the great pay per views, wouldn't you? Two. Yeah. You know, uh, how many cards uh, have I two four star matches coming. on it? Legit. I mean, it could be two four and a half. I mean, for you, four and a half. I mean, I was. And really, the Sting Vader. I mean, the Sting Vader match, I went four stars on. That's really close to four and a quarter for me. Um, I wafted a good bit back and forth on that rating. So that's, that's two uh, really strong matches on top. Because you know, the Lethal Lottery segment is enjoyable. It's not like an awful. No, I, I yeah, really enjoyed that first 45 minutes. Way. Right, right. It's quick, breezy. Anyway, Meltzer says here some notes. There were a number of fights in the stands during this card. Um, (laughs) uh, The crowd booed heavily when it was announced that Rick Rude wasn't going to wrestle because of an injury. They announced in the building that the reason Steve Williams was replacing him because he was number one contender, which also drew a lot of boos, uh, (laughs) as well as the fans who were smart enough to realize that Williams almost never works for WCW, so how could he be a top contender? Um, Williams wound up being something of a crowd favourite, though, because most of the crowd booed Eric Watts, and much more of the crowd booed Ron Simmons. So Williams ended up being a kind of de facto babyface in both of his matches. Um, and then he's got a note on Ross and Ventura. He says, while Jim Ross and Jesse Ventura did a great job during the Sting Vader match of getting the story across to the viewers, it is becoming more obvious with each show that these two don't complement each other. Ross is into um, seriously calling the matches, at least on these big shows, like a real sports event, wanting to talk strategy, etc. Ventura's actual colour isn't particularly incisive in that regard. I disagree, Malta. Uh, His strength is coming up with excellent one-liners, but Ross's serious commentary doesn't lend itself for uh, being the setup man for the one-liners. Any thoughts on that? We've This is towards the end of this partnership now. Yeah, I mean, I think that kind of coincides as to what we've said. Uh, they don't complement each other well. Um, I, I disagree. I think, each, I, think, I think have their own agenda. Don't you think Ventura is actually quite good at that strategy stuff, though? I, I always think he is quite incisive when he talks to, about To a degree, but I, I do think Ventura a lot of times will, will push in his own how do I word? I mean, again, we're going to get into a Ventura argument, of course. But um, <laughs> you know, you know how like Ventura was upset at how Williams could be DQ'd. Yeah. Well, that that made sense. And then in the very next match, he was you know wanting to DQ Steamboat. You know, it's kind of the thing where like if the heel does it, Ventura says you know cheat by or win by any means necessary. If the face does it, oh he should be disqualified. What a disgrace! Blah blah blah. Yeah. And that's funny, but one of the problems that I have with Ventura and why he wouldn't be like my own personal goat is I never kind of get the sense that you know there's a certain way you can play that where you can see the hypocrisy of that with the viewer. Mm-hmm. And I never think like Ventura, I guess, shows enough ass or kind of has enough tongue and cheekness to where we can see like, oh, what a hypocrite this guy is. So like we're in on the joke, like we know it's ridiculous. 
and nobody else really seems to get over that much on Ventura. I don't know if it would cause the, uh, I mean, Gorilla Monsoon actually, or Vince actually, I think does that better than anybody else and kind of calling him out on that. Yeah, well, I mean, that's why Vince is his best partner because they, right. they give back and forth, you know, and, um, yeah, I, I think that's the problem with Ross. And, and then a lot of times with the strategy aspects of Ventura, I mean, I think he can hone in on those, but in a lot of ways, it's kind of how it fits his narrative or his view. I, so it's kind of through his eyes. I, I do think it's fair to say that he gets stuck on little things and won't let them go. That is one thing that we've seen quite a lot, isn't it? That yeah. he's got one idea, and if he's in the if he's in that sort of mood, he's not going to let it go for 10, 15, right. maybe even for the whole night. You know, um, which can be tiresome at times, I guess. Um, but yeah. Um, I guess Jim Ross just isn't fun enough. Basically. Well, that I mean, that I think is part of it too. Is I mean, Ross and I mean, these two are just like a weird pairing. I mean, where it feels like, oh, here's two of you know, probably the most hyped announcers throughout the '80s together finally, and it it just doesn't work. Yeah. All right. Well, um, shall we do the end of show award? I mean, I, I think generally though, I give Starcade a thumbs up. Yeah, I, 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 with two four star matches, I think I'd have to give it a thumbs up, but it's very slight because the world title match in Muto and Chono are so bad. I mean, it's 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 a weird thumbs up. It's like a a, a marginal thumbs up for me, which is strange with two four star matches on it. <laughs> I, I should mention in the in the January the uh, the January the fourth ninety three newsletter, there's a full interview between Mike Tanay and Jesse Ventura, um, right after the uh, Starcade review. I'm not going to read any of it out, but um, it's worth having a little look through because they talk about uh, Vince and WF and merchandising and so on, um, which was a big deal. Uh, in, in fact, still they settled that eventually, didn't they? The, the, yes, they I put Ventura so. on. Uh, they don't yeah. hold him. He, he's on at least some of them. Yeah. Um. Okay. So, match of the night. We may have a split decision here. Yeah, I think we do. Uh, as I go with the uh, tag, and I guess you're going with Sting Vader. I have to. Yep. The ratings dictate. Um, MVP. No, that's an interesting question. Yeah, this one's tough. Um. <sighs> I mean, I liked Vader in that tag match, uh, the Battle Bowl match, and I liked him um, in the match versus Sting. I, I guess I'm going to go with Vader. To me, uh, Vader and Steamboat would be the other contender, but Steamboat only has the tag title match. Um, so I'm going to give Vader the nod because he was great versus Sting, and then I like the stuff of him like pummeling Dustin Rhodes after the match and all that. Okay, and I, I think I'm going to give it to Steamer. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I just really think he's been outstanding. Um, yeah, he. I, I think this shows some unique... Fi- I mean, him in that tag match shows some fire. You know, if you think he's just a generic kind of rah, rah, rah baby face, this tag match is a, a good debunking of that. Yep. Um, and then Billy Graham Award winner... Yeah, not uh, oh, uh, and we going going on into the nineties. Do you think we should uh, redub that the Jimmy Garvin Award, given the, the Garvin? Jimmy Garvin. Yeah, I think we might rebrand it. 
Jimmy go because he he must have won it like what ten times. <laughs> sure, uh, I'm gonna go with Watts. I, I think. No, uh, he, I mean he was he wasn't good. Here's a question with Eric Watts, and we are going to see him one more time, but I might as well ask you here: Is he one of the worst three wrestlers that we've seen? Um. I don't know. We've seen some bad ones. Night Stalker. Giant Gonzalez. Yeah, Motor City Madman or whatever. Who, who <laughs> are those guys? Iron and Iron. Yeah, and yeah, the one that quit or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he's not he's not worse than any of them, do you think? Sith. I, I, Sith. Mm, I don't think so. He's not good, but yeah, I don't think he's quite that bad. Bottom five? Yeah, yeah, he's probably bottom five. Bottom I think five, that's maybe, fair. okay. I think Motor City Madman may be still the worst. Yeah, he's he's probably top. The, the worst guy who had a regular gig for any amount of time. Because <laughs> right. um, at least Gonzalez did that suplex once, do you remember? Right, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, I forgot about our boy, Giant Gonzalez. Um, okay, and I'm going to go with, for this award... That drop kick was so bad, but <laughs> but Chad Chono is oh yeah well yeah that's right yeah it has he, to was be Chono. Bad. he was yeah so I'll keep watch but Chono's a good call yeah I've tried to erase that because I do think Chono I mean Chono has great matches that I guess that's what's frustrating with Chono's he has some great matches. I don't think he contributes the meat of those great matches, but he, I mean, he's in them, you know, so. It's the weirdest thing. He, he's almost like he's there, but he's not there. Right. Dead behind the eyes. Yeah, it's weird. Um, okay. So next time, Chad, we're back for the TV special. Yeah, I guess we'll do the TV special. We, uh, I know, uh, Mick's been asking, I, I, we haven't got a set list, um, for that, if you want to go to the PWO thread for this show, you can kind of give us some suggestions. Probably looking, I don't know, 10 to 12 matches. I think we only want to do one show for the TV special. Yeah. Put a bow on 1992 and then maybe go into 1993. Yes, and I, I can't say I'm looking forward to it because, you know, we're going into some weird territory now. Because isn't it true that Bill Watts was fired a day after this show? No, he was, uh, it was into 93, but it's, it's not, it, it's like, it's the week of the Super Brawl show, I think. Right. So it's kind of, it's, it's weird. Like Super Brawl three is what's booked, but he's no longer there. Right. And then we have a bit of it. And then we have Eric Bischoff. Yeah. Then we get the of... uh, Bischoff off air. Starts it, it, off. It's, it's actually, I mean, as we all see, it's 1993 is quite interesting. Because there's almost like the suggestion of another plan that he had before he brings in Hogan and all these cronies. Um, and there's so by the by the time we've got a lot of interesting what ifs, I, I think coming up. So I'm, I guess I'm looking forward to it from that point of view. Yeah, I, I kind of am. I think it'd be interesting. All right, so join us then. But for now, so long. Fans, for all of us here at WCW Center Stage for Cowboy Bill Watts. And the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. I'm Jim Ross saying good night, everybody. <laughs>